My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian Murkowski. I do miss the old names. And without a tagline, Kelly Wand. I'll become even more powerful. <laughs> hey, getting ahead of yourself. That is so. This this three by three was inspired because that's been one of the things we've seen a lot in recent Star Wars movies is uh, noble sacrifices, and it's my feeling that they've been done very poorly. So I thought yeah. we would do a three by three of of some of them that are done well. Although maybe oh. we'll pick those. We'll find out. When I was composing my list, I thought I noticed a lot of traditionally one like considered. Oh, that's a great one for movies. It's actually a shitty one. So I'm well, just, hold that thought because I I suspect maybe people might have written in with that Kelly one. Don't be so judgmental. Hmm. It's uh it's a tricky phrase. Noble sacrifice. Human sacrifice is less tricky. Well, we'll get into that in a moment, Kelly Wan. First of all, I need to know what movie you saw this week. Dude, last night, just so you, you could hear me say the answer when you asked, all I right. watched Motion Picture. And I'd never seen it before for some reason. Well, obvious reasons. I watched Ghost last night. The, <laughs> the Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze thing? Yeah, I'd never seen it. And also, you, you keep saying this thing that's been annoying me lately where you go, that that's the calendar, Kelly. The, Jurassic Park was 94. Movies were way different then. So I'm like, I'm going to watch a movie from 1990 and show Tom. See, movies were the same then. And actually, it yeah. kind of made your point more, I thought. Because it, it was back when we saw movies for special effects still, and it thinks these special effects are great. But, what were the special effects? Like, it, does it does like Whoopi Goldberg become Demi Moore or something? No, shadow creatures come and take souls. Oh yeah. my God, is that Charles Dance that gets dragged away? No. no. Okay, That's who's the bad guy? Child or something. Uh, the bad guy is someone who looks like a someone from a Whit Stillman movie, and he's like his friend. And then there's like a black Walton Goggins killer. It's 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 um. It's the it's the guy who uh, is the son of the studio head, the guy who started his studio, and he's terrible. Max Minghella? Uh, no, that tall guy. <laughs> For some reason, not. I thought I knew who the villain was because I was picturing him getting dragged to hell, but I might be thinking of something else. It's weird. Um, it's I wanted, and there's a lot of really weird, dumb humor. Like it's the airplane guy who made it. I, I want to say it's like Tony Goldwyn, something like that. Yeah, oh. it is Tony Goldwyn. Okay, no, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. See, I don't know. And he's horrible. He's horrible. The whole movie why is, is there, really broad. Why is there a bad guy in Ghost? Isn't it about so Patrick Swayze dies and Demi Moore feels bad and she's doing pottery and Whoopi Goldberg helps her like seance to make out with Patrick Swayze. That's all I remember. Well, somebody has to shoot him, I think, and like. Yeah, like, and there's, oh, there's like there's, a, he gets murdered. Yeah, well, they get. It's kind of funny, actually. There's some things I like about it because at the beginning, he keeps you keep you know it's called ghosts, and he keeps doing dumb shit that look like it's gonna kill him. Like he jumps out on a ledge and and grabs the statue for no reason, <laughs> and you go, oh, and then he doesn't die. So the movie's fucking with you a little bit, and that uh, he says since Whoopi Goldberg 
she did, she's a psychic who's a real psychic, but she doesn't know she's a real psychic, even though that's her job for some reason. Right. She, thinks she's, a, she thinks she's a scam artist, yeah. She thinks she's a scam artist, even though she goes, my, girl, my mom had it, my grandma had it. And then she can hear Patrick Swayze, and so he starts has, hassling her. And so he likes, he keeps her up at night. She, he's all, you got to go tell my girlfriend that she's in danger. And she's like, <laughs> no, fuck off. Like, she doesn't want to help people now that she's an actual psychic. Why is his girlfriend in danger? Because uh, she has his address book and uh, the murderers need it because they're embezzling. And that's why they get dragged out because if you embezzle, demons in the afterlife care as you drag you. But if you're he gets shot and then he, he sees some lights and then he chooses not to go up to the lights and sticks around and, be, and he's a ghost. And then Richard Libertini is another ghost who haunts Oh trains. no, I forgot that. And he could like break break glass and stuff. And Patrick Swayze, oh, you're gonna teach me how to do that because Patrick Swayze <laughs> doesn't affect anything except cats. Uh, and then Is Patrick Swayze good in it? Like, can you watch yeah. this and think, oh, that's why this guy's famous? Well, here's the thing: I'd never seen it before, and I always assumed from the poster and everything that there's a scene where they have pottery ghost sex, and that's not actually. <laughs> movie they have like normal pottery sex at the beginning before he dies oh i would have thought so too okay yeah he doesn't come back as a ghost when she's doing pottery ever that never happens i really was confused i thought thought she was doing pottery and she was imagining him or he was feeling her and so when you watch the movie it's like uh carrie grant saying judy and it never really is right yeah oh that's that's got to be really frustrating and this is the one with get off my train right yeah, he get off my train. He shows him on the train, and he's angry all the time. And you don't know what his story is or why he can do it. And then he's teaching. He he can like move stuff, and and he's all you got to funnel all your emotions. You can't use your hand, you idiot. But then later he's <laughs> his hand easily. Like Patrick says, he can't do it. He's all you got to funnel all your emotions, all your love and your hate, and then you do this, and then it works. And then Patrick Swayze eventually does it, and then he does it effortlessly, like. Like he's he's chuckling while he does it later in the movie, and he's like moving pennies and shit. <laughs> yeah, but the penny, the penny trick that's really useful. Thanks, thanks, Patrick. Yeah, it's the and thing then, where he like levitates a penny on the other side of the door or something, and that's how she yeah. knows it's real. And he makes and Demi Moore keeps thinking Whoopi Goldberg's uh, a con artist, so Patrick Swayze has to do stunts to to show. Look, see, I know which underwear you're wearing. Uh, you bought those earrings at Zodi's, and look. And then she's outside the door, and Demi Moore's all, no, I saw you guys. That's the other thing. There's this whole subplot with a bank where he makes Whoopi Goldberg go into a bank and take out $4 million to punish the murderer friend because the best friend's the murderer. And then he mm-hmm. makes Whoopi Goldberg give the money to some nuns, and Whoopi Goldberg's like crying, like, no, I want to keep the money. Like, she's super. She won an Oscar for that fucking movie. What? No way. Get out of here. You just made that. <laughs> yes, she did. It's a $200 million. It was the biggest movie ever. And it's like, when he first shows up with Whoopi Goldberg, I don't know why he goes into her. There's a lot of plot holes because he goes to, into Whoopi Goldberg's uh, scam artist den, even though – and then he's he sees she doesn't do anything. He's like, this is bullshit. You're just, just soaking him. And then she hears him say that even though she's not trying to see him. And then afterwards, he hassles he her by like screaming all night like, Henry VIII. I'm Henry VIII. Oh, like, that's right. Oh, that. And then when – Demi Moore later, she's all. That's how he got. That's how he got me to go out with him because he would do that. He does the Henry VIII. So, what's your deal with uh, uh, with me saying things are different in in the '90s? Like, what? 
Wait, so this this had a very '90s feel to it. You're saying? Well, it remind yeah, and there was an innocence to it, and like a certain like the the thing like he's supposed to be able to walk through people, and, and it, but always freaks him out. And then in the last in the entire last half of the movie, you can tell that the, they got tired of doing the effect because he just like people walk <laughs> around him and leave doors open for him and never do it again. <laughs> It's like when a hot actress is on a, sh- on a TV series and you see her boobs once and you go, oh, it's, she's going to show them on this. And then you never see them again. It was just that one time to go to trick you. <laughs> uh, who directed series. Ghost? Uh, Jerry Zucker of the Airplane. Oh, yeah, you mentioned the Airplane guy. Okay, wow. All right. Huh. And the visuals aren't bad. Walter Murch edited it. The guy who edited the conversation edited Ghost. <laughs> You're like, ooh, the editing. But the editor's got to put food on the table, Kelly Wand. That's true. But then, so then, this is another thing. I don't understand this either. But he, like, even though he doesn't tell other ghosts, hey, Whoopi Goldberg can under can hear me. Somehow, word gets out, and he goes to visit Whoopi Goldberg later. There's all these black ghosts and Hispanic ones standing around the office, and like she's got super, she's super busy now because all the ghosts are like, hey, she really is psychic, and so. Like a, 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 an old black dude possesses Whoopi Goldberg and looks at his wife, and he's like, "Woman, what'd you do to your hair?" It's like that kind of movie. <laughs> and then, and then Patrick Swayze's all, "Come on, get out of here! My girlfriend's in danger." He like makes all the other ghosts leave, even though they're ghosts, they can haunt him too. Whatever. I'm talking about. Ghosts all right. Too much. Well, Dingus, uh, you're gonna. You should probably go next because I did the same thing as Kelly Wan. I watched a really old movie that's also really bad. So can you maybe do something that's more contemporary and good, or what did you see this week? I can, but I can't talk about it very much is the problem. What are you so talking I was about? Gonna, I was going to talk about an older movie uh, that I also saw this week, because thanks to you, I got to go see uh, Hereditary. Oh. Kelly oh. saw that. What do you mean we can't talk about it? Kelly yeah, saw, I it. saw it. I didn't well, want to talk about it without you. It's hard to talk about because, um, you know, it's we can't do any spoilers about it. Yeah. Um, well, what, I don't. I don't think it's that hard to talk. Why do you? I mean, wh- how? What would you tell someone to make them want to see it? Actually, is this your movie, or should we do what? what no, let's do Hereditary. Because okay, I'm. How really, would you tell I'm, someone this is a movie that they? How would you make someone want to see it without spoiling it for? How is it different from Ghost? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Jerry Zucker did not direct it, so it's got big, that big horror movie, word of mouth hit horror movie from 1990 <laughs> and 2018. What's different? Uh, what I would say about it is that. Um, it has qualities that reminded me of uh, the movie Lake Mungo and, in a very favorable way. Um, and also, uh, it's directed and written by a guy named Ari Aster. And uh, Tom's written about it a little bit on the site, so you guys can go look at his review of it. Um, it's just got this really great feeling to it that I love when I go to see a movie. I absolutely love that that feeling of what is going on kind of feeling. I mean, this isn't like this isn't crazy what is going on, but for me, it did have me questioning myself a lot or questioning what I was seeing, questioning where the movie was going and what it was trying to make me believe and not believe. And um and what was most enjoyable about going to see this movie hereditary was the fact that often when Tom and I go to see a movie together, uh, it's a podcast movie. So the way home we're, you know, discussing things that 
have nothing to do with the movie on purpose. We're trying to find something else to talk about. Um, in this case, I was bloated up with a bunch of stuff to talk about as far as the World Cup was concerned, because I knew that would bore Tom to tears. And um, also, it would avoid, uh, you know, talking about uh, the movie. But since we're not doing this movie for the podcast necessarily, we got to talk about it. And that's really, really pleasurable. I mean, that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast with you guys for the last almost nine years is getting to talk to friends about movies. So um, that was, that was the third time I'd seen it too, Dingus. Like, yeah, I, I love this thing enough time. that I wow. times. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, yeah. Wand, you're not, you're, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Uh, well, Kelly, Wand, you, 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 I think are less enamored of it than I am. I'm assuming. Mm. You haven't seen it three times. I'll tell you that much. No. And I didn't <laughs> think it was scary. And that's that was what surprised me. I was like, "Oh, it's gonna fucking scare the shit out of me." And it's not that kind of movie. It's just I do think that that's part piece. of the. Uh, I, I think that that when you when you want to market a horror mm. movie, that's just what the studios have to say, and that's what a lot of reviews yeah. say. And because I mean, I thought it, it it I thought it was really freaky and it was really disturbing. But yeah, like I don't I don't know you know scary means different things to different people, and and that's just a nice. It's like calling a movie fun. In a way, right. it's just like a nice neutral way to say, hey, it's an effective horror movie. Uh, and some people think, well, that means I'm going to jump or some people think, well, that means I'm going to really just feel have my stomach's going to be tied up in knots. Or some people think, you know, I'm going to want to look away from the screen. It just means different things to, to different people. Yeah, I know. So at any rate, I don't necessarily disagree with you if you say it's not really scary. Um, and I'm not sure about the ending. I go back and forth on it. Well, now be careful. So what? What like do you? I mean, don't don't give it away. But what what uh, would you say your issue is with the ending? Without just because it seems like it's not like a more horrific payoff to the setups than you've been given. You okay, know what I mean? it's like, a pretty oh, horrific payoff. E is it <laughs> for me? I mean, I I found it to be right, and I mean, I mean, I have a weaker. Uh, tolerance, I guess, uh, than you guys, because I don't, I'm don't, I don't have your credentials as far as going to see horror movies are concerned. So this movie was pretty scary for me. Uh, I was very pleased, however, and I said this to Tom, that I was not the scariest cat in the theater that we went to see it in, because um, Tom was very clear, you need to see this in a theater. And then he made it happen. He's like, okay, we're going on Tuesday night. Let's go. And um, there's this dude, it was a guy and this is usually me in these theaters. That's why Tom brings me along to horror movies or scary movies. Um, there's this guy behind us who like was screaming like a little girl at certain points, which was which was wonderful. I felt really, really good. Yeah, it was awesome. Scream. After after one particular scene, which I think every there's a really uh, disturbing, gr- gross, just horrific scene uh, partway through the movie, uh, and you you know you can feel the audience seeing the scene when you're in a theater with it, and after that feeling sort of subsided, the guy that guy that Ding is talking about went, holy fuck! <laughs> it was, it was sort Tom of like sounds, a, sounds more like a man than he did. Like, holy fuck! Uh, I'd never smoke again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Well, but, so Kelly Wand, I, I would say about the ending, so my whole take on it, and you can read the, the review I wrote, uh, I really feel that there's a zeitgeist element to it in the mm-hmm. same way that uh, there was to Poltergeist and uh, The Exorcist before it. I love your analogy Poltergeist, too. That was yeah, great. and Rosemary's Baby before that. And I, I think there are – when people draw comparisons to this, and I think this is part of the, the hype that's 
that's grown around hereditary, what they're getting at is it just really does tap into this zeitgeist. And if we were to make a poltergeist today about a family beset by supernatural family, uh, supernatural forces, it would have a very different ending and tone and sort of cruelty to it than yeah. poltergeist, which was a bit of a fun adventure that brought the family together. And this right. is a much more mean-spirited movie, and I think the ending uh, has to see that through. Um, and I you know, it, it got a, it just got a D plus on on Cinema Score. So uh, the right, average, and Monster got an F, and I love that. So. Right, and uh, the Witch got a C minus. But right. th- this is not We're a done. this is not a movie that uh, the the average person probably agrees with you, Kelly Wong, because I think that's why it gets a D minus. People go and see it on its opening weekend. They think, hey, here's a there's a, a a new horror movie. It's been marketed a lot. Maybe they know who Tony Collette is. So they go and they see it, and they're left with that ending as they're walking out of the theater and given one of those little ballots. And so they're yeah. like. So I think a lot of them don't like that ending, and that's why it got a D plus. Because right. I think if you'd just gone through like half, two thirds of the movie, that would have been what they thought they were getting, uh, yeah. and then they would have been like, "Yeah, B." Oh, or no. a. Yeah, this isn't a genre film, and therefore, <laughs> but they think it is. I mean, the, it's like, but the witch ending, like idiots are. Hardly ever, right? But like, and Mother was such a like. I I liked that they didn't like it, and right, I thought right. the ending of the witch was amazing. Like the first time, I said, like, "Oh, that's the perfect ending. How could anyone not like that? You're right. crazy." Right. But in this one, um, I was a maybe like as a writer, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't more Colette centric. <laughs> Okay. Well, sense. speaking of Tony Collette, and I didn't think about this until you guys were talking just now. I mean, the, totally, this feels more like The Sixth Sense than it does. Uh, it's uh, a great bookend to it. A horror movie. Yeah. Um, it feels more, uh, more. I, I wouldn't call it a thriller, but it feels like a. There's not a. There's not a term called tensioner, but it's. It. It was. It. It did like. I don't know. I think Tom might have said that. You expect it to wrap you up in in knots, and it doesn't. But it did for me because, uh, again, I don't have that kind of experience, and it made me feel, in some ways, the way the family tension uh, and the weird sort of things are going on in the background, kind of a thing, uh, made me feel when I watched the Sixth Sense. It doesn't certainly doesn't have the weird twist thing or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, that's not some, that's not the purpose of this movie, but the the pacing and the and the tension of it remind me of that now that you guys talk about it. And just to be clear, I was when I was saying uh, it, it got my stomach tooting. It's like when I first saw oh. it, I uh, you know I, I felt like I'd been doing reps. Like it, like my stomach hurt. Like oh. I really just felt. It's it's a super oppressive movie the first time I saw it. Uh, but I was just saying in terms of when people expect something to be scary, they have different expectations for what that means. Uh, and some people – like like I thought it was terrifying because it's so oppressive, and there were times that I was like, where is this going to go? And I, I cared for the characters. For me, that's what's scary. Things jumping out and horrific effects are not scary. Uh, right. I, I I think sure. horrific – I think gore is funny 99% of yeah. the time. Uh, so – it's just I know that when people use scary, they have different expectations, so mm-hmm. I can completely understand someone saying, hey, this isn't scary. I found it really scary, and I kind of yeah. figured you would as okay. well. Uh, so, yeah. But I found it scary in, in much in much the way you've just described, in a very yeah. gratifying way. But uh, I don't know, maybe cathartic is the way to put it. But uh, but it's the, – the reason I really wanted to bring it up when – and I was thinking about this uh, in spite of the other movies I saw this week um, – is because it just it lingers 
it just sticks with you. Uh, and there hasn't been a day that's gone by since we saw it. We saw it Tuesday uh, that I haven't thought about a scene or a moment or something that especially Tony Collette was doing. Um, and the kids in this are amazing. Everybody in it, I think, is amazing. It's the the performances are just universally good. Um, and uh, but Tony Collette in particular knocks me out and one yeah. one of the things i was saying to you tom when we got back after seeing the movie was um i i wish that uh that people would appreciate um the, you know such things as uh, as something that would be classically considered horror or comedy even <laughs> um for awards for those types of things because she is she is fearless and she's not afraid to appear uh to look her age and she's not afraid to appear um bad or terrible or whatever it's kind of a ruin like ellen uh, Burstyn. oh good yeah yeah so she's just not afraid and you know it's also interesting when it ends to see that she was the executive producer on that, but that, that's a whole other kettle of fish. So just uh, – I've, I've mentioned this before, and it's I've mentioned it in the review. Uh, it, w- watch her in a movie called Glasslands. There's a kid who he really liked in Free Fire, uh, and he's in it. And, uh, Glasslands? Glasslands, yeah. Maybe it's Glassland singular, Glasslands. I think it's plural. Uh, it, it, it does a weird thing that it's uh, – it, I'm not super fond of it, but it's an amazing Tony Collette performance in terms of what you're talking about, Dingus, in that there's oh. there's no vanity. Kelly Wan, you mentioned the word ruin. She's a complete ruin in it, and it's, it's, it's just an actor showcase for uh, how fearless – uh, Tony Collette is, and she does like an Irish accent, which is really weird. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! I mean, she's Australian. Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I so. think um, for me that the reason the end—it's not that like oh I wasn't scared and that's why I didn't like the ending. It's just that I was really invested in these characters, and I thought the ending subverted character agency in scenes. Mm. That went Kelly, one, I think that was the point of the movie. <laughs> Oh, no, I know, I know. And I I was like, "Eh," you know, I get it. But I also was like, oh, but that's not as horrifying as if they'd had choices. (laughs) And that's exactly what the little classroom scene is, is the the teacher is saying, is it more tragic or less tragic if the characters have choice? And there's a reason that Ari Oster asks you that question very early in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the answer is the the movie's answer, my answer are different. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Sure. But it's a, hmm. it's an awesome movie and totally worth seeing, and I'm really stoked Dingus saw it. And I knew he would like it. It was yeah. just a trick to get him to see it. Exactly. Yeah, right. I, I thought you guys were messing with me, but uh, but I'm really I'm really uh, grateful that Tom made it happen because I don't know that I would have gone to see it on my own. Well, it's not um, for you, Dingus. Well, that's what you said. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah. I couldn't. You know, it was one of those movies where I, you know, I was sitting there and I'm like, uh, I can't move. I can drink my water every now and then, but I can't. Really? I was just admire. I was just loving looking at. I actually am worried, Dingus, that you missed a a a super like an awesome shot because I because you know when you see a movie a second time and you bring someone to it, you're kind of watching them part of the way too. I think Mm. you were looking down at your stupid diary, writing something during one little scene. I wrote two notes during this. Yeah, and you you one of them you wrote at the exact wrong time. It's one of the coolest shots in the movie, and I'm worried that you missed it, but I can't bring it up now. Uh, but I'll, we'll talk more about that later. Dingus, stop bringing your stupid right. diary into good movies. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> so we bring them to Transformers movies from now. Or on. this, Dingus, you can bring a diary into the movie that I saw this week. Okay, good. I uh, did the same thing Kelly Wan did, and I was like, I'm going to look at an old movie, and I actually didn't realize that I don't think I'd ever seen this because a lot yeah, of times you watch an old movie that you think you've seen, and you're like, I either didn't see this and just heard a lot about it, or have seen certain scenes from yeah. it. You feel like you saw it because everybody. Yeah. So here. I was pretty sure that I had seen Damnation Alley, and I don't think oh, I had. What? Dude. I had never seen Damnation Alley. Tom, uh, I'm shocked. That's impossible. I know exactly. We've argued about like moments in it where you're like, no, no, there's no cockroaches. Well, no, I thought there were giant cockroaches because I'd no. seen, I guess, the giant scorpion. See, early on, Jim Vincent rides around in a motorcycle and fights giant scorpions, and so I. I like must have seen that or heard about that and then conflated it with the idea of cockroaches because later on – and the movie is so horrible, by the way. Later on when they go to Vegas, <laughs> Vegas is – I want to see it right now, though. Oh, my god. <laughs> Vegas is infested with cockroaches, and, that, and they're not giant or anything, and oh. they chew off Paul Winfield's face, and they kill him, yeah. but everybody else gets away from him. And what they do to represent these cockroaches as a swarm – is they'll lay out like a big old piece of cardboard and then cover it with cockroaches and then with a string drag the piece of cardboard across like along the ground. I love so that. All the cockroaches oh, are like moving in a square. Oh <laughs> no! Oh no! Really? It looks so ridiculous. There's like trays of cockroach because they can't get them to. They can't get them to move. There, there's a movie called. Um, What's that? Is it called They Live where the cockroaches at the end? Uh, no, that's not right. They Live is the Rowdy Roddy Piper thing. What's yeah. the one where the fire cockroaches form words on the wall? Do you know what I'm talking about, Kelly Wong? <laughs> and the words uh, they form uh, are We no. Live. Oh, it's a, it's a, anyway, it's a, it, they have to, it's about super intelligent. There's an earthquake. Well, there's yeah. an earthquake and super intelligent cockroaches that can ignite fires, uh, come up out of the cracks in the earth, and they besiege a small city, a small town. And at a certain point, one of the guys trying to study them, uh, a bunch of them escape, and they crawl up on the wall, and they talk to them by forming words. Like uh, Willard. Exactly, exactly, Kelly Wan. But it's that thing where, where, you, where you, yeah, right, where you realize that they're super intelligent, and they, they know English. And, and they troll uh, you. We live. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, but, but the thing is, they what they did with that is they had like – it was something they like with magnets where they put the cockroaches on uh, a – they pinned it to a piece of metal on a tray and yeah. then dragged it around to form the letters. Uh, and it, it freaks – like it still looks freaky. It's a terrible movie by the way, whatever it's called. It still looks freaky though to see the cockroaches moving around and forming letters. It but in the roaches because they don't even know what's going on for that. So. Well, they're probably, they probably killed them. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But uh, in, in – uh, Damnation Alley. Ironically, it's just, it's just they're just dumping bunches of roaches on a tray and moving around because the roaches don't go like they, it has to look like the roaches are chasing Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> they're not going right. to do that. So they put them on a pallet and they drag it along, and the mass of roaches in the background moves forward. It's ridiculous. Doesn't oh. the kid from Bad News Bears at one point have the line, "She ain't my ma, and you ain't my pa." Yep. <laughs> So Jackie yeah. Earl Haley uh, shows up halfway through as a little kid. They they yeah. uh, they meet. Um, the kid he's, from Bad News Bears. Yeah, come on, Kelly. Yeah. I think of him as Rorschach. Hannibal's uh, uh, got the jazz in his RV. <laughs> but go on. Uh, and they so they meet him, and at a certain point, like uh, like rapers uh, or have him at gunpoint. Yeah. They're going to rape the lady, and so that's how he gets Damn out. Of, 
He, he, well, right, yeah, exactly. And that's part of how Jackie Earl Haley saves the, the woman is the guy's like, you get over there and be still. And he, Jackie Earl Haley is like, you're not – She's yeah, you get over there with your ma. Jackie Earl Haley says, she's not my ma and you're not my pa. And then he just walks away. And the guy's yeah. like, what am I going to do? So he Excellent. I know. He's talking shit and he leaves. Right, exactly. Like that's something that you should – movies gotcha. – characters, <laughs> characters in movies should do that to bad guys more often is just walk away. <laughs> just leave. Yeah. I'm not going to hang out it's with you bad guys. It's a stupid insult too. Yeah. Like – you're not my dad. Got right. you. <laughs> well, is, is the vehicle at least cool? Because I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles, seeing that vehicle uh, over on Coenga where I would when I would go to my uh, an acting class I was taking over in that region. There was a there was this like used car lot that had that vehicle in it, and I was like, I can't believe that vehicle's there. That is the Damnation Alley vehicle. Yeah, so they, they made them for the movie, and, and so, so the funny thing is reading about this, this came out in 1977, and it was 20th Century Fox, and it was going to be one of two action movies they released that year, and it was going to be like a summer release, but their other release that year kind of did really well, and so oh, no. they went into panic mode and did a bunch of like post-production work on Damnation Alley because they wanted it to – to some degree, live up to Star Wars. And that post-production work included things like, I think they just knew how terrible it was, they just spliced in a lot more footage of the Landmaster, that's what the, the vehicle was called, driving it's called around. the Landmaster? It's the Millennium Falcon of our movie. <laughs> yeah, it's called the Landmaster, and George Papard yeah. even introduces it as such, and there's two of them, uh, yeah. and one of them gets wrecked early on, so they have to pile onto the one, uh, the other one. Uh, and yeah, it looks cool, especially it's got the, the little three-tire... Um, assemblage on the side of it that can rotate and bring to bear any two tires at any given point. Uh, it kills Chris Elliott and get a life at one point. It's like a well, robot I, the, paper the thing is, like when I was reading about this, it's confused with a TV show called The Arc Two that was uh, uh, yeah, yeah, from a year before, sure. and I actually think The Arc Two looks better than The Landmaster. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. The Landmaster's cool, but I, I think the Arc 2 looks sleeker. The Landmaster, I don't know. It's fine. Was the uh, Arc 2, did, was there a guy on that show who had like a little dowsing rod that was made him telekinetic or something? I've actually never seen it. I only, oh. uh, when I was reading about Damnation Alley, I'll have to watch that next, Kelly. Wong. Being old is neat. <laughs> but the funny thing is, so Damnation Alley <laughs> opens with uh, Jan Michael Vincent and George Papard. They are partners in a missile silo. Or yeah, the, the turn your keys or missile yeah. silo situation, and they get in a a warning that you know the missiles are coming and you got to launch your missiles. And there's a whole get sequence of no, no, they don't do that. The missiles are coming in and they're sitting there. Yes. They they have to launch their missiles and there these there's a big old board and you even see Murray Hamilton, the mayor from Jaws, whose lines were cut. He's in it, but uncredited because all of his dialogue was cut. You see him looking up at the big board, and uh, and, and the world ends. And then the credits yeah. come up, and uh, and we cut to I don't know how many years later, but now George Papard and Jan Michael Vincent are just camped out in their missile silo, just living from day to day, with a bunch of other soldiers. And what precipitates the events of the movie is that one of the soldiers, basically porn, precipitates the end of the movie in that their missile silo gets destroyed. When one of the soldiers falls asleep holding a cigarette while reading a Playboy. And so there's a shot of the centerfold, the naked chick, and the guy drops a cigarette on it, and a fire starts. And then we cut to the whole missile silo exploding and all the soldiers getting killed except for Jan Michael Vincent and George Papard, who are like, well, I guess we got to drive across country where there's more people because they all died here. 
He's smoking stuff. and watching porn at the same time. Reading, so yeah. Both, it is, yeah, that's back when you read porn. Watching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> read porn. So, yeah. So, so Billy Wand, uh, Tom just brought up Jaws, and you brought up Get a Life. Isn't there a Jaws scene in Get a Life? Uh, I think well, he's got a scene with his dad. Well, there's the submarine. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. He does the Quint speech. He does the Quint speech, doesn't he? You in the water, sharks in the water. <laughs> Oh, you made you sound like Alec Guinness doing the Quint speech. <laughs> well, my Guinness sounds like Gosling. So. <laughs> well, let's talk about some noble sacrifices now. So, by the way, who goes uh, next? I, who, Kelly. Me. All right, so Kelly, you're starting this off. Uh, you, you talked a little bit before about difference between sacrifice, noble sacrifice. Uh, talk us through your thought process and give us your number three pick. Okay, this is. I'm trying to decide if I want to start with the exciting one or the like least exciting. We'll start with the number three one, the one that's yeah. not as good as the number two or the number one pick. Because you've already set these up, so you yeah. know exactly what order you're going in. All right, I'll be fun. <laughs> Wait, so we get a boring one for your number two pick? You're going to be fun, not yeah. interesting or scary or visceral. Okay. All right, all right, I'll do the. Le- I'll save the fun one. <laughs> This one's not that one. I'll save the fun one. (laughs) I don't sound like that when I said that, do I? No. I just like like the Gosling voice. I just love that voice. But then I go away thinking, Dingus thinks I sound like Gosling. Dingus does that a lot. Like he'll repeat something someone says in a funny voice, and that's Dingus' way of interacting. But I don't think Dingus knows this. People hear that and think, oh, my God, that guy thinks that's how he's I sound. He's making fun of how I talk. Yeah, exactly. And he's not, and I just know him well enough. But <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just socially inept. They're giving him too much credit. He's actually yeah. just making a dumb – Right, right, exactly. And, and, exactly. and I, like I've seen him do it before to like people who are at board, new board gaming night, and and I, I, I they don't actually care. But I worry like, God, does that guy think Dingus is making fun of the way he talks? I think most people know better, but well, so Dingus Kelly, has a cool voice, so they they'll all think, "Hey, do I sound like a nebbish?" <laughs> <laughs> Although that's Dingus's voice when he gets upset, he turns into a nebbish. His name is Connor. <laughs> yeah, he's like a reverse Jekyll Hyde. He turns into a doctor when he gets. <laughs> Damn it! Oh, that makes me think of Fat Russell Crowe. I miss him. <laughs> but he's the nebbish. No, fat, fat, Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde. My number three favorite noble sacrifice is from. I don't really want to talk right now, so I'll just do the one that I have the least to say about. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, in numbers. Okay, well, this is a good one. Where is it a noble sacrifice? Because in a way, there is no sacrifice, but it was an intended one. Uh-oh. But I really like. See, that's the thing. And this is yeah. Kiernan, so, Kiernan has one to, to contribute that's similar to what you're talking about. So go ahead. Okay, yeah. I think I know Kiernan's. I don't think you do. No. Okay, that was going to be Captain America uh, jumping on a grenade. That's what I think Kiernan's is. But my number three is. Uh, that's not a sacrifice. Really... <laughs> it's just, it's just yeah, noble. It's... No, it's not. He doesn't get sacrificed. Oh, we'll see. You're not, not going to like my number three. Oh, all right. Uh, you know, I did say, too, that the three by three police were not there would not be a zero toler- tolerance policy imp- instituted here. So I'll go easy. Uh, go we don't want we don't want film critics in cages. That's not who we are as a country. <laughs> Kelly, on their freedom fences. Oh, uh, that's true. Don't Just make like me put you in a freedom fence, Kelly Wand. They're like summer camps. My like number is 
<laughs> What's the other little darlings? Wet Hot American that? Summer? <laughs> no, 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 no. So you don't even like that movie. You don't get it. Um, I, know, I don't. Babes or... Meatballs. Oh, Babes. No. Which one is the... Um, little Foxes. Chris- Christmas little foxes. One. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's little foxes and little darling. No, no, wait. Little foxes isn't. I think it's just foxes. <laughs> it's little yeah, women, little, little darlings, women. and foxes. <laughs> Kelly, one yeah. quick. Give us a noble sacrifice movie, or we're going to be reminiscing about seventies movies forever. In the little okay. And um, nah, I'm going to change it. It's too stupid. Forget it. My real number three is the guy in K-19, the Widowmaker, who stays in the radioactive <laughs> chamber extra long and, like, pats it. He, like, stays in there to, like, tidy it up a little who bit. Who is – isn't that Catherine Bigelow? Isn't there's no chicks in the Russian No, side. no. I think Catherine Bigelow directed K-19, right? There's nobody uh, named uh, that. Who's the dude who stays – is it Peter Sarsgaard? It's someone famous, right, who stays in there. Is it Peter Sarsgaard? No, it's someone like that, though. I, I forget who's in that. I haven't seen it in forever. And he, he's, Ford, all, he's tweaked looking when he comes out, so you're not even sure which character he was because the radiations mutated him like Damnation Alley. But, um, yeah, that guy's cool. So that's my number three. But he does die. Yeah, I know. I switched to I was going to oh, do oh, oh, okay. Okay. from speed. Uh, does he save? I mean, he saves him, I guess. Yes, right? Like, I don't even remember. What even happens in K-19? Oh, is that the one where Harrison Ford is wanting to defect from the Soviet Union with the submarine, right? Oh, God. He's not trying to defect. <laughs> He's doing an accent. He's trying to defect from American accents uh, successfully. While Liam Neeson you guys are like, thinking of I like you. See, yeah. there's all those reds. They all have the, the color red involved somehow, including K-19 because they're Russians. I actually all. watched U five seven one recently. We both. I like that movie. movie. I uh, that. Okay. I do not. That's, yeah. okay. that's the oh, one with bon, bon Jovi's in that, right? McConaughey. Oh no no! You know what? I'm thinking of the. the I'm not thinking. What's the one that Darren Aronofsky did? Below. I'm thinking of Below. Shoot. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. He well, did Below. Isn't it? Yeah. It's monsters, isn't it? Um. N- no. It's a. It's a weird war crimes. The guilt of the war criminals visiting and haunting them. It's a it's a metaphor. <laughs> Keep in mind, Kelly one, this is the guy who would go on to write Mother. Oh, but Mother's great. <laughs> I, I could see the script being kind of cool, but it's it, uh, David Twohey directed it. Who? Oh. Uh, but it's uh, Darren Aronofsky's script, and you, I can see it's been Twoheyed uh, when you actually Twohey watch the, it. Twohey the the arrival guy. He might no. be. Just, He's Riddick. Yeah, he's the first Riddick, oh. and he's kind of movies like that. Uh, yeah. But he, I wrote, he was the Charlie Sheen arrival guy. He might be. He might be. Yeah. Right. Oh, maybe. You might be All right, right. so enough submarine movies. So K-19, Kelly Wan, you really like the poor Russian kid who gets baked in the, the, the radiation room, whatever they call those, the nuclear core, and saves the crew of the K-19. Yeah, Very thanks, noble. man. Appreciate I love, that. I love the idea of the, the placard outside the door saying the radiation room. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the recording. All right, Dingus, we need your third favorite noble sacrifice in a movie. Oh! <laughs> what just happened? All right, what? here's a quote from it. Fun uh, the, the road to salvation begins tonight, right now. So this uh, this... Noble Sacrifice is from a movie called Constantine, 
which is one of my absolute favorite movies ever and wound up on my list for 2000. I think that was 2005 is when it came out. Um, and I could not have been more surprised. I remember first seeing Constantine and just being in that situation of feeling, please don't mess this up. And I've said this before. Uh, and that, that very night when I finished watching it, because it was kind of like nearing the end of the year, I'm, I'm kind of finalizing my top 10 list. And I emailed Tom and said, I think, um, I think a Keanu Reeves movie is going to wind up on my top 10 list. You know, and Tom gets noble. something else like Thumbsucker. I don't know what he gets, but he gets some other movie. He, he, had, he didn't know I was going to go with this. Matrix uh, Revolutions, I'm, total noble sacrifice. So, um, so this does deal with what happens at the end of the movie. And, you know, Tom, you kind of kicked my ass this week, uh, over the last, actually the last couple of weeks, because, uh, watching the movies that I watched to prepare for this, um, and even the scenes that I watched to prepare for this was pretty devastating. I mean, there's a lot of these noble sacrifices that kind of wrecked me, um, and that are, uh, really emotional for me to watch. Um, and I'm not saying that as a criticism or anything. I mean, that, that's fine. Uh, and I'm an easy cry. Uh, but this, this, uh, this week was, was, it kind of put me through the ringer. And, uh, and I love, I love Constantine. I love this movie so much. So, uh, the, the sacrifice, of course, is, um, in, in the movie Constantine, um, uh, John Constantine, uh, basically calls Lucifer to Earth to, to take his soul by um, by committing suicide. Uh, his soul is already granted to Lucifer because he's uh, because it's a it's sort of a Catholic universe, and um, uh, given that he tr- he earlier in his life had attempted suicide. Uh, and actually, actually succeeded at it, and then was brought back. Uh, his soul was promised to Lucifer, and he spends the rest of his life fighting demons. And so, basically, he's the one soul that Lucifer will come to claim himself. And this is well known in the universe of John Constantine. So, in order to get Lucifer back up to Earth, in order to stop this horrible cataclysm that's about to happen, um, John Constantine again uh, attempts suicide. And so Lucifer, in the in the in the form of Peter Stormare, who is just freaking amazing in this movie, uh, there's, he just does such weird stuff in this um, because John uh, Constantine says, you know, they're in the next room and they have the spear of destiny, and Lucifer goes, they have the spear of destiny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the devil's making fun of your voice. That's yeah. That's harsh. The, the, the devil does exactly what you accused me of doing earlier. So hmm, <laughs> the devil has power to assume a pleasing voice. Um, so the so the devil comes in. Pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, and. John clues him in that, hey, you, you know, your kid's in town and he's about to take over the world. Did you want that to happen? <laughs> and Lucifer's like, yeah, not yet. But what are you going to do with kids? Uh, so he goes and disrupts that and he comes back. He goes, all right, what do you want? Do you want more time? Do you want me to give you an extension? Because John has lung cancer. Um, and Constantine says, no, all I want 
is for the twin sister who committed suicide. Her name's Isabel. She's the twin sister of Rachel Weiss's character, Angela. Um, all I want is for her not to go to, not to stay in hell, but to go to heaven because committing suicide is a sin that, that makes you go to hell. And he want, and he says, you can take me. That's fine. All I want is for her to go up there. And he's like, okay, done. And Lucifer doesn't realize it's too late. Lucifer doesn't realize that this is this. Oh, this, and he, the actual line is, Oh crap. I mean, it's not, Oh crap, but the look on his face is Oh crap. And he says the sacrifice. So what John has done is basically enable himself to go to heaven. Oh, by, by redeeming himself, by sacrificing himself. By sacrificing. Right. That's the twist. Right. He has sacrificed okay. his soul. He's, he's basically said, yeah, take me to hell. Fine. But let her go. And, and it's this sacrifice that redeems him. Um, of course, that doesn't work out for him in the end. But it is ne- nevertheless his intention to, to sacrifice himself. And he doesn't realize what is going to play out. Uh, so it's uh, number three is Constantine. I just freaking love that movie. That makes me think. So, so Dignus, you're right about this whole. Like, I think a good noble sacrifice because it, it's inherently dramatic, isn't it? And when it's done well, it should be a very effective, poignant, tragic, powerful uh, thing. Um, yeah. And and so hearing you describe Constantine right now, and <clears throat> I think I got a lot of this. When uh, I was getting into opera, when I was was a lot younger, because mm. opera loves its noble sacrifice and it loves ending on that note. And you're making me think of the end of the Flying Dutchman, which is a Wagner opera, where the Flying Dutchman is a guy who was trying to get around the Cape of Good Hope, and he made a, a pact with the devil, uh, saying, you know, if you just let me get through this storm and actually round the Cape of Good Hope, you can have my soul. And the fallout of this is every seven years he comes to. He, he comes out on a ghost ship, uh, and if he can find true love, then he'll hmm. be liberated. And if he can't find true love when he comes ashore, then he has to go and do it all over again. And he's on this terrible, like, eternal loop, uh, the Flying Dutchman is. So uh, he, 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 he meets uh, Senta, who's a woman, but she's sworn to someone else, and there's a love triangle. And at the very end, it turns out that she's not committed enough to the Flying Dutchman. So he's like, oh, well, I'm screwed, and he's going back out to sea. And at that moment, Senta throws herself from a cliff and kills herself and her death then is enough to prove that she loved the flying dutchman and he's then uh, released from this curse so you, you describing constantine was just like yeah that's that's the stuff of opera and legend that's yep. great no i yep. love your constantine pick very good Man. kelly Wand, what k19 <laughs> <laughs> i think it was the same actor <laughs> it was Peter Stormari. Yeah, that's why he was in my head because I was thinking of Constantine. I, while I, was watching. I think you're thinking of Armageddon, actually. Well, that's my number three, Dingus. Oh, sorry. Uh, All right, uh, so Ben, Ben, not Ben Stiller. Uh, ben, uh, shut up. Ben Stiller. Ben Affleck. That would have been drawn, an awesome move. Ben Affleck this? has drawn the short straw because someone has to stay behind and detonate the explosives that the world's best deep core drillers have put inside the asteroid that's the size of Texas. Uh, so somebody has to manually trigger the expl- – and by the way, this is such the stupid cheap thing about noble sacrifices, isn't it? Is there's always like someone has to hold the door. There's a button yeah. that has to be pressed. You do or, something really boring and dumb. Yeah, yeah. There's some mechanical failing. Get that, the switch. Right, exactly. Plug it in. Get and this the reboot. Is, and the, the problem is though, if it's an effective enough 
dramatic moment, then I can forgive that. So the the reason that you know Bruce Willis has to stay there and someone, excuse me, spoiler, has to stay there and do the clacker manually to blow up the asteroid, oh, okay. and then everybody else is going to escape on the shuttle. Not a noble sacrifice. Well, they do. They draw straws. Um, right. I remember. Okay. So here's the deal. So Ben Affleck draws the short straw. Uh oh. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And he lives up to his obligation, unlike uh, no, he unlike, unlike John Wick. Like John Wick. Yeah. yeah. I knew you were gonna say so he's whining he's, now. He's like, Ugh. no, he, he knows he's got to do it. And he says to Bruce Willis because he's in love with Bruce Willis, his daughter. And uh, he's he's been just constantly throughout the movie, throughout his life, having to, to, to struggle with getting Bruce Willis's approval as his father-in-law. And Bruce Willis won't do it. So now he's like, OK, we'll tell Grace that I love her. And Bruce Willis is like, OK, kid, you know, I'll come through. I'll come. I'll see you out of the airlock uh, and get you set up. Oh. So they put on their spacesuits. They go down in the airlock. The door opens. Bruce Willis sort of walks him out. Ben Affleck is like, <laughs> um, OK, I'm going to go do this. Uh, and uh, Bruce Willis tears his oxygen hose out of his helmet so he can't breathe, Ben Affleck, throws him back in the airlock, tears off his American flag badge and says, gives this to Billy Bob Thornton because you know, they've had a whole back and forth going. And then he says – and then he closes the door on Ben Affleck so that the air cycles again, and Ben Affleck doesn't have a suit on anymore. And Ben Affleck's like, no, Harry, no, and he's genuinely distraught. He doesn't want – he was, he was going to live up to his obligation to sacrifice himself. And so yeah. Bruce Willis sends him back into the spaceship, and, he, the, and his, his parting words are, I'd be proud to have you marry my daughter. Oh God! And then he goes no, out. I know it's really, one. it's really emotional, isn't it, Kelly Wand? And so then he goes out, and Michael Bay has to, of course, do the thing where he he drops the clacker thing, and he almost can't reach it. Like it's all, he almost completely yeah. blows it by by screwing up because uh, right. that adds more dimension. To that would have been a funny ending, actually. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Uh, so <laughs> Michael Bay just, like, dude, right? <laughs> I would have done it correctly. <laughs> you old man, drop right. the stupid Peter trigger. Sellers. Yeah. yeah. So I really like I, – I unironically love Armageddon. Uh, I completely understand that it's big and stupid, but I think it's effective. And that payoff moment at the end where Bruce Willis sacrifices himself for Ben Affleck, I think that's effective. I like it. They like, wouldn't have lasted. That's the thing. So it's not a noble sacrifice. They who wouldn't, wouldn't have lasted? Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck's character. What are you talking about? They live happily ever after. What's your deal? No, Animal Crackers. That's not – that's, That's not, not a long, foundation for a long-term relationship. No, Why are you bring up the Marx Brothers? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just think he's punishing her. Kelly, want everybody gets a happy ending. All the characters, well, except mm. Steve Buscemi. He gets space Owen sickness. Wilson. I forget what happens to him. Owen Wilson. Now yeah, we're in outer space. Well, the ones that don't die, like space. the super, the super cool female pilot. I think she dies. William Fickner, doesn't he die? Yeah, no. He has a noble wait. sacrifice. Well, he's the jerk, isn't he? Yeah, but he redeems himself. Uh, Peter oh, Stormari, okay. doesn't he die on the space station? I forget if he does. There's lots of yeah, noble sacrifices. Sandra Bullock, so let's say. And but the, the best one is, is clearly Bruce Willis. It's the performance of a career. That 12 Monkeys, pff, it's got nothing on the final moment in Armageddon. That's a hilarious noble sacrifice is 12 Monkeys. He's like, wait, what? Why? Well, thanks for spoiling my number two. <laughs> Are they all Bruce Willis? <laughs> Kelly Wan, shut up. Kelly Wan, what's your second favorite? <laughs> <laughs> and Sixth Sense is number one. Kelly Wand, what's your second yeah. favorite noble sacrifice in all of moviedom? This one you'll like. Uh, my number two favorite noble sacrifice is from the motion picture Birth. I think that guy's doing a noble sacrifice, that character. At the end. Which Spoiler. character are you talking about? The Birth Kid. The guy who's running? Oh. Yeah. 
What? That's a totally noble sacrifice because now he has to he has to live his whole life all over again. See, I, I sort of I, maybe I should have specified like I meant like a death sacrifice. Um, what? It's not like like giving up something for Lent. Like that's but he did die and now he died for nothing. <laughs> what are you talking giving about? up for Lent? Well, because he – I mean for all he knows, he's going to have to be born again after that and have to do it yet again. The noble sacrifice is to remove himself from Nicole Kidman's life and complicating right. it, and it's a very tragic ending, but nobody yeah. dies. He, well, but he has to go through life not – he has to like watch How it. is that different from any romantic movie with a sad ending? Because you're a kid, and you have to like literally – you're not even in puberty yet. Then you have to hit puberty and go, oh, I still can't have sex with her. That's depressing. Huh. All right. So in the uh, movie Big, why they come uh, back Tom Hanks makes a noble sacrifice by giving up his childhood. Yeah, that's true. He does. And then he gives up his adulthood. That might be Kelly Wan's number one pick, though. Oh, I don't sorry. know if that's noble, that. though, because he's not doing it for love. That's the nobility. You know, I said there was a zero. T- there would be no zero tolerance policy, but there, this might be beyond the pale, Kelly Wan. Wait till you hear my number one. Uh-oh. All right, Dingus, show Kelly Wan how it's done. Give him your number two pick for a noble. Ben Affleck! <laughs> ben Stiller! Yeah, Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. All right. So that the quote would be, uh, what have I done? Uh, oh, and- see, okay, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I, I – okay, let's go, Dingus. All right, well, we've already brought up Liv Tyler. Is that what you're thinking? No. So Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Oops. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. What? Um, All right. What? We I, know I, well, I, we'll have more talk of this later. <laughs> oh, good. good. I'm glad we will have palaver. Uh, oh, real so, quick, real quick. Kelly Wan, from that line, did you think of a different movie? Or did you did, did anything register for you? And don't say the movie. Did anything come up for you? What have I done? Yeah. Um, The Fly. I, I, I just sacrifice. said, don't say the movie. <laughs> All right, so go ahead, Dingus. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings. I want to. So there's a it. number of of, uh, of of noble sacrifices in this movie, um, and it is uh, endlessly moving for me to see this particular one. I mean, there's there's uh, you know there's of course uh, Gandalf sacrificing himself so that they can so that the rest of the fellowship can get across in a way he means for them to go away. Did he have a choice? Uh, when, he's, when he's fighting the Balrog. And doesn't he know he's coming back as a white wizard? Like, yeah. isn't that more just like leveling up? He doesn't isn't he already have... caught anyway? He's going to get sucked in because the whip's around his <laughs> He doesn't he's know that that's going to happen. But How do we know that? But he, puts, but he puts himself between them. That's and not he, losing a fight. He sacrifices that he's his life. He sacrifices his life to save them. You know, fly, you fools. You're done. There's, very, there's a very cheap. I think Dingus is right. There's a very Jesus thing there. Like if it, if you're going to argue that that that's not a sacrifice, then you would also argue that Jesus is not a sacrifice. Yeah, it is because well, it's a lot. Kelly, of t- Kelly's number one is Passion of the Christ. Oh, I was thinking about it, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I was, was I. So, I was circling it. You know, it's a great one. But that's not the one you're picking, Ding. It's not the Gandalf. No, the Balrog uh, I'm picking Bo- I'm picking Boromir because the Boromir moment is oh. one of those moments that drives me. Absolutely nuts every time I see the movie. And now, I mean, you can you can look at um, uh, at uh, the at various things in the movie as sacrifices. Uh, you can look at the whole thing where Frodo says, "I'll I'll go to Mordor," because he he knows he's probably not going to return. You can look at that at the end. You know, it's a, it's 
when you watch it on DVD, it's that's the end of the first disc, you know, him saying, I'm going to go. And then you see Candell's face where he does that. Oh, my son's going off to war. I wish he wouldn't, but I know he has to moment uh, because he he is saying I'm giving up everything that I know, everything that I have in order to do this because it's for the good of all mankind humankind, Middle Earth kind, whatever. Um, you can look at that. But for me, it's Boromir, who is just racked with guilt because he says, what have I done? Because he's attacked Frodo to get the ring from him. Uh, he's just consumed with the need for that because that's what the ring does to you. I mean, we all know that. Um, and to atone for that, uh, he runs to protect and try to save Pippin and Mary. And there's this moment um, where he's he's fighting the orcs and the Rakai who are coming at him uh, to save these two hobbits because that's who they're going after. They're going after the, the halflings. They're going to take them. They're going to torture them. They're going to kill them to just get this thing to bring them back to Soramon. And uh, the, there's a moment where the uh, the uber Urukai dude shoots him with an arrow just above his heart. And you see this look on Sean Bean's face, and he's just amazing in this moment where it's this mixture of pain and realization that there is no way I'm going to survive this and if I, unless I run. But I'm not going to because I have to protect these two because I am so racked with guilt over what I've just done and how, I've, how I have basically splintered the fellowship. Uh, because of what I've done. I mean, he's carrying a huge amount of guilt here. Uh, and so he just, he puts his body in front of these two hobbits who uh, he wants to save. Um, and of course it doesn't work out for him because he keeps getting hit with arrows. And the way it's filmed is just phenomenal. I mean, if you watch that whole fight scene, it's beautiful. Uh, and, uh, beautiful in a in a really sad way, uh, but every time an arrow hits him, you just feel you can feel it because I think they Sean is so good at it. What'd you say? Yeah. Well, they are fucking with him. They're just like shooting him really slowly, and like they know he can't do anything. Well, it's just the, it's the one main dude who keeps shooting him, but yeah. but you just you just feel the impact every time. You feel it. Um, it it's just so powerful and. At, at a certain point, you know, Sean Bean's character, Boromir, knows this is it for me. And that final moment with, uh, I get a little torn up even thinking about it, that final moment with Aragorn where he says, uh, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king, um, that it, he has sacrificed himself for these two hobbits, and he's been unsuccessful, uh, largely, because they get taken. But Nevertheless, he sacrificed himself, and so uh, that, that is my choice. The Lord I didn't even think of that. Like it doesn't do anything, does it? Like they, no. uh, he dies. He he's failed, and yeah. Well, he in a way, it's, have done it. and it's he ruined kind of, the fellowship. And it's kind of part of the the book's morality too. Is that he's corrupted by the ring, and yeah. you know he, he he does nobly sacrifice himself, but to no effect. And that's kind of in a way all the more tragic, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to do my number one now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So when Riley Keough 
in Fury Road, goes into the back of the war rig uh, and sees Nicholas Holt curled up there weeping. Uh, he's one of the war boys who has been chasing the war rig down. And several times he's completely screwed up his uh, attempt to stop the war rig, to be a war boy. Uh, and he's weeping, and Riley Keough has pity on him. And she's like, why are you weeping? And he says, three times now I've seen the gates of Valhalla, and three times now it hasn't let me in. Because mm. these war boys are all about suiciding. That's how a Morton Joe breeds them, and they're all cancerous and racked with tumors. Uh, so they are warriors, and they're more than willing to sacrifice themselves because they're going to die anyway. So Nicholas Holt, that's his purpose that he's been bred for, and he's failed several times. And he says, three times I saw the gates of Ahala, and I wasn't able to enter. And Riley Keough does this so – all of the women, by the way, in Fury Road, especially once you know like – you know, like Abby Lee, especially like now that you know who she is, and Riley Keough, and uh, I love all of the women, and they're distinct too. It's amazing to me that George Miller wrote these different female characters with different personalities that the actresses were able to tap into. Uh, but Riley Keough, it's really adorable. She she says, well, maybe it sounds like it wasn't your it was your manifest destiny not to to go into mm. the gates of Valhalla, which is just a cute little thing for her to say, and it sounds like manifest destiny, like. Nobody uses it that way, uh, yeah. but it's really cute that she puts it that way, and I, I think George Miller clearly knows what he's doing. His manifest destiny is to sacrifice himself later to save them because mm -hmm. at the very end when they're in the war rig and they're decided to go back to uh, – I forget what they call the, the citadel, I think – to go back to the citadel and go through the narrow gap – uh, and then block it where the, the warriors can't follow them, and they're locked out. Uh, everybody has jumped from the war rig into a different car, in Morton Joe's car. And, and, uh, and Riley Keough and Nicholas Holt are in the cab of the war rig, and he says, you go on. I'll jam the throttle down uh, and then jump across when you get there. And so she goes across, but then at that point, Rictus, who's one of the big bad warrior guys, gets up, and he starts with his bare hands literally tearing the engine out of the war rig. Uh, and Nicholas Holt, realizes he's got to stay there with it, and he's got to jackknife, and that's how he saves him is he jackknifes the war rig. It blocks the passage, and then they get away. He sacrifices himself, but there's such a beautiful little moment where he, he, he locks eyes with Riley Keough, and he touches the, the windshield, and he says, witness me to her, which is their whole religious thing, is to say to a Morton Joe and to each other when they're doing these batshit insane, chemically induced suicides, is to yell out, witness me, and then throw themselves into spikes or explosions or whatever, and he just very quietly like mouths it to her. And that's like his declaration of love, and it's just so moving. Uh, so that's my second favorite noble sacrifice, and I didn't remember how well George Miller sets that up with that whole little scene where she finds him. Uh, See, is it a noble sacrifice if you believe in Valhalla? Or because by that standard, the nine eleven hijackers would. Uh, she so they have conversations. By the way, where and this is another thing that I just George Miller did such a great job writing these female characters, where they're explaining to him, you know, you've probably been lied to because they hate Immortan Joe. By the way, right. and Abby Lee is so like one of the unique. Like Abby Lee, a couple of times calls someone a slanger. And she's and she's doing uh, her Australian accent, and it's really cute to see her do that. Like that's her little insult. But they all hate Immortan Joe, and that's how they bring Nux. That's 
uh, Nicholas Holt's character around is they they convince him, look, Immortan Joe's been lying to you. Immortan Joe is just using you. And of course, he also falls in love with Riley Keough. But I think at that moment, he's been disabused of this ridiculous Valhalla promise. Right. So you don't think he so you think he believes them? Uh, I, like, I think he doesn't believe it. Well, I think more importantly, Kelly Wand, it's kind of like the very end of uh, Hidden Tiger, Crouching Dragon, where he he realizes at that moment <laughs> – why are you laughing? Because <laughs> you said uh, the title wrong, fool. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Right. C-T-H-D. Dragon's right. hidden. Right. Crouching Connecticut Hard Drake. Drive. Dragon's Chloe can't Moretz. No, just remember Connecticut Hard Drive. Chloe Moretz, Tourette's syndrome. <laughs> Or he, he realized at this certain point that he's wasted his life because really the defining point of his life was that he was in love with her. And that's what he's thinking about as he dies. And I think at that point, you know, even if he were – even if Nux did believe that he was going to go into Valhalla, it's tragic at this moment because he's going without Riley Keough. Yeah. Like he realizes he loves her. So regardless yeah. of whether he thinks he's going to be redeemed, and I think he has been disabused at this point, he just realizes at that moment that the, the point is that he loves her. Uh, and that's his dying realization, uh, much like Chow Yun-Fat in Something Crouching, Something Hiding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll buy All right, it. so Fury Road. Uh, Fury Road's an acceptable one. <laughs> it's <laughs> mediocre. Uh, Kelly Wand, I need to know your number one favorite <laughs> noble sacrifice in all of moviedom. Oh, uh, well, there's only one clear choice. Okay. Let's hear it. All right. So it was. I was kind of going nuts while Dingus was talking about Boromir, because mine <laughs> is Lord of the Rings too. So who, oh. in your opinion, is obviously the most noble sacrificer in Lord of the Rings? Obviously not Boromir. Come on. Lord of the Rings two. You mean the two towers? No, any of them. I mean, I it, I could start obviously, throwing out things, but yeah, it's so just obviously your pick. you're going to say Gollum. Yes, I was going to say Gollum. Good work, Dingus. Now, how does Gollum, Gollum sacrifice himself? He doesn't mean to fall into lava. Oh, he doesn't? Long game, Tom. <laughs> who's the, Who's been the ring bearer since it started? Who was, like, the greatest ring bearer? He, went into, he just went into solitude. He didn't try to take over the world, man. He was fucking in it. He was just going to keep it for himself. He gives it up to Bilbo on some bullshit riddle. Like, all right, man. What's in your pocket? All right, that's a good one here. <laughs> Long game, Tom. No, I still don't understand. So you think he meant to fall in? The, he threw himself in the yeah. lava with the ring. Yeah, that's yeah. not accepting. What, Tom? Tom <laughs> saved the world. Once again, show Kelly Wand how it's done. What's an example of a really good noble sacrifice? No, I wonder Tom. Kelly Tom, talk more about Gollum. <laughs> This, well, you think he saved – I mean he, he – a sacrifice – a sacrifice, yeah. sacrifice is an active verb. It's something even that you do. It's not something that passively happens. He, he wouldn't trip. After all he's been through, he was dodging fucking Shelob for decades. He wouldn't trip on the, on the, on the rocks. So he didn't – he just wanted well, to – he wanted to he had, throw – why didn't yeah. he just take the ring and throw it in if that was his intent? photo to show him that there was a better path forward. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Wand's number one pick, Gollum, Lord of the Wait, Rings. When you watch Lord of the Rings, Isildur is such a dick. What a jerk. Who is? Isildur. 
it's the 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 elf that's there in his not the elf the the man oh, the who human, cuts, right, right. cuts off Sauron's who's there with finger, uh, with Hugo and weaving yeah, and Hugo weaving's like throw it in and he's like nah, oh Isildur Isildur sorry uh, and he just he just comes across as such a ding dong right compared to Gollum. <laughs> Everybody remembers who Isildur was, and look, and all he did was get his hand cut off and go, no, I'm keeping the ring. Ugh. He didn't even do anything, and he won the battle. Big fucking deal with a lot of help. But Gollum, he's not even loved. He gets no credit. Tom, Tom scorns him. Tom, he will, Gollum will never have Tom's love. So the <laughs> well, so yeah, like, there's the whole thing where, where Gandalf uh, says like early on, you oh, know, that, that weird little creature <laughs> might play a bigger role than you think. Deus Ex Columbus. Yeah, I just don't think he's sacrificing himself. He wants no. to be with the ring. Like, he's craven. I don't think he redeems himself or anything. He knew it would have happened to Deagle, so he murdered Deagle to keep him to keep his soul intact. Kelly Wan, you're George Lucas in Lord of the Rings. You're retconning. Yeah. Oh. All this right. Great speech that Gandalf gives about pity, where uh, where Frodo says it's, it's a pity that Bilbo didn't kill him when he could have. And Gandalf's like, well, pity is why he didn't. And he talks about – he basically talks about capital punishment. He has a speech about capital punishment, like, um, you know, be careful how you decide to mete out death. And, and exactly he knows how the book saying. ends. Well, yeah, he's read the book. so See? He knows he what a noble sacrifice is. He doesn't know he's in a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see that. I would like to see an R-rated horror version of Lord of the Rings. It's almost, I was actually surprised watching it because you get people's heads lopped off and stuff. Yeah, but it's, I mean, they're not people; they're orcs. But whatever. Yeah. Aragorn cuts off a guy's head like while he's talking, so he murdered <laughs> the dude. There's a lot of debate online about that. It's like he he killed an ambassador, and then the other factions like, yeah, but that was the most evil thing in Middle Earth. Like he was that guy killed a bunch of people probably, but we don't know that. He was just was like he. I mean, his name's the mouth of Sauron, right? So he's known for just talking. So maybe he's just a chit chatter. <clears throat> mouth is your name. In a way, the mouth of Sauron was the noble sacrifice. Fuck Gollum. Forget it. What I said. The mouth of Sauron took all the heat. Yeah. Right. Thanks for reminding me about him. I think the the ring took all the heat. Ah, oh, see. That's right, the so noble sacrifice. By number one, here's a quote from it. He did not feel the sacrifice a vain or empty one, and we will not debate his profound wisdom at these proceedings. And I do not think this will come as a surprise to... It's not Starship Troopers. The word star is involved, though. It would be from Star Trek to no. the Wrath of Khan. No. no, he cheated. Not a noble sacrifice. Cheated. Knew he was coming back. No. Touches McCoy's neck. Remember. That's not a noble sacrifice. Saying remember? No, no, no. <laughs> get him, Kelly Wand. Get him. I have no idea what you guys are on about. So. What? Tom, I knew this was going to come up. I knew of course, it. Of course you did. <laughs> Tom, you damn fool. Dingus, you damn Why am I a damn fool? I don't even know what he's talking about. I haven't seen I'm that since it was in theaters. I was so pleased that Tom brought up Paul Winfield earlier. From Damnation Alley, because he's uh, yeah. the captain of the Reliant um, in That's this movie. Uh, <laughs> Tom doesn't know what you're talking about, Dingus. What do you think about that? I know that? who Paul Winfield is, though. He was also in yeah. Terminator. 
Oh, he, he is. He's one of the cops, right? That's how I know him. He's the main cop who's trying to protect Sarah Connor, and Lance Henriksen is his wacky sidekick cop. Right. Does he, he put a cigarette out in, in the coffee cup, or does somebody put a cigarette out in his coffee cup? I think – that's a good question because I think he drinks it, and Lance Henriksen said something like there's a cigarette butt in there. They're both yeah, stimulants. What's the big deal? <laughs> Lance Henriksen also almost uh, – I was kind of uh, – I was close with another one with Lance Henriksen. I'll save that for the rest that of one's- I'll talk yeah. about it. Uh, but this this is easily my favorite noble sacrifice. Cheats. Kelly, why is he cheat? Well, Dingus, explain it, and then Kelly, one, I want to hear your case, and I'll rule. Oh. I'll rule in one of your favors. I'm outraged. Let the judicial branch handle this, Kelly, one. Dingus, make your case. No, I'm retiring. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, not yet. Hold no. on. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Take your travel ban and su- shove it I'm out of here. Kelly, you are not too old for this shit. Come on. Come back. What? Come oh. back to us. No, you guys got it. You know what you're doing. You don't need me. <laughs> All right, Dingus, make your case. Let's hear it. Because I, I, I don't know what you're even talking about. So someone dies in Star Trek 2, I guess. Um, well, so Spock uh, – all right. So while the aftermath is the most important part of this, uh, there's something that I saw in it when I watched it again that really moved me in a different way. I mean this this is something that uh, that I've talked about with one of our uh, one of our listeners many, 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 many times. One of our favorite listeners, our archivist. Um, I believe his name is Chris Markinson. Um, it, it's this, there's this moment where, uh, where um, they've taken Scotty is having having to take take the warp drive offline. He's had, having to take the mains offline because there's there's a radiation problem that they've been damaged. Nobody like can K-19. go into there to work on it. It's exactly like can yeah, I, I, when I, you were I talking exactly about that. What this is, right? Yeah. So uh, and it and it is in the uh, in the remake as well. I can't believe they uh, ripped off K nineteen for this. That's really cheap. I know. It, it really is cheap. And that Moby Dick cribbed from this to make Moby Dick. Oh, but Shatner's Russian accent is actually not that bad. <laughs> yeah, but the the little dog that pees on Denzel Washington's foot is awesome. Um, <laughs> so uh, what happens is there's going to be this huge explosion because the Genesis. A device is going to go off, and it, and there's no way that they're going to get out of range of this explosion. The Enterprise is going to be destroyed, right? Um, and the Mutakara Nebula is totally screwed. Not caught. Don't so stop I, it. I remember this. So it's, it's called just the Connor. It, it's it's the another Connor thing Nebula. where somebody has to be inside and shut the door and hold the door shut, right? It's like uh, one of those really. contrived mechanical mechanical things like Armageddon, right? Um, it's the future. Got to hold doors. <laughs> Well, he's got to do something like there's it's like it's sort of thing like they had the core. No, somebody, they had no it's okay. not that it's not somebody having to hold a door. It's somebody having to to do something that nobody else will do. And and Spock has this moment where he's sitting at the console monitoring things and he hears from Scotty that we we all we have is impulse power. We're not going to be able to get out of range of this explosion. And that's that. And uh, Spock just sits there and you have this moment where you see him make the decision. Much like I was talking about with Boromir, where he where he goes logically, okay, yeah, just like and Kirk does in Into Darkness, huh, guys? The whole the whole idea is is I mean later on it's paid off with the the good of the many outweighs the good of the few or the one right. uh, that that is his logic and and he just he just 
does it dispassionately, but it's not really dispassionately because because he cares about these people. Well, but he's um, a Vulcan. He doesn't have emotions. Yes, but yeah, he yeah. has Winona Ryder as a mom, so he does. Does he actually have so, Vulcan? Is that the whole deal? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So he constantly struggles with this. He's a half-breed. With though. having to prove himself as a, as a Vulcan almost, and, but right. still having feelings. Uh, or still being more controlled by feelings, because Vulcans do have them. They just control them. But only uh, he can do this thing that has to be done in the in the reactor room, right? No, anyone could, but oh. he just makes the decision to do it. They like, if they had, for instance, here's the thing, if they had robots like, they, that they could control, like with robot right. arms, they could send that in there and take care of it, right? Like it, it's a it's a yeah. it's a doodad sacrifice, just like. It, and I'm not. It calling, really is, yeah. Okay, right. Okay, it really so is. Kelly, one, why do you think this is not a noble sacrifice? Because that sounds. Dingus like is leaving something out. He's leaving out an important shot before that, where before he goes into the thing, he right. goes up to Doctor McCoy and touches his neck and goes, "Remember," and then. Later in the th- and so then in the third movie, Spock's like possessing McCoy and like takes him back. Okay, got my body back. So he has a plan. That's not sacrifice. It is definitely a sacrifice. But what he's required to do is transfer his knowledge and memory to somebody else, so that can be uh, that can be taken to Vulcan at some point. He's not necessarily saying I'm going to come back because gen- the Genesis device is going to bring me back to life. He's transferring oh. all that he has. To somebody else, so that that can be put into the repository of knowledge. That's do not, all Vulcans do that? Is that just like a Vulcan thing? That's that's something that they. That's one of their superpowers. Yes, they can transfer their <laughs> their memories. They can download real quick. So um, he's just doing what all Vulcans do, right? Like all Vulcans get to make a copy of themselves before they die in someone I else. No, I have no idea what the lore is, but that that, that seems to be what he's doing. I mean, and what's beautiful about it is that he's doing it with the person that he has the most supposed animosity with. Um, yeah, and then he, he ends up t- taking care of this uh, this thing because he also he's got a great deal of strength and he, he and he he makes this decision to do this this isn't an accident this isn't falling off a cliff this is this is him deciding right. and so, and he makes the decision he doesn't bargain with anybody he doesn't tell kirk hey what do you think if i do this he just gets up calmly walks right. to the elevator goes down and then when mccoy says you can't do that he goes oh you're right and then he puts him to sleep he puts his memory in him. He uh, it's goes in like there and he takes Bruce care of Willis it. It's kind of like how Bruce Willis pulls the hose out of Ben Affleck's spacesuit so that exactly. he can't stop him. Yeah. Yep. See, Kelly Wand. Yep. Kelly uh, Wand, I don't I – don't, so Kelly Wand, even though Spock like, has made a copy of himself inside of uh, Dr. Bones, whatever, uh, and he Bones. knows maybe he can come back, <laughs> the, the obvious dramatic intent of this scene is – a noble sacrifice. Like whoever wrote Nicholas Hintner, or who who, who did the silly Nicholas movie? Meyer. Nicholas Meyer, Nicholas Hintner. Uh, the obviously, he was doing this, intending it to be a noble sacrifice scene. So you're yeah. crazy to call Dingus into question when you picked birth. <laughs> also, it's like when Gollum uh, ruined yeah. okay. all their uh, animal crackers on the way up the cliff to make them work harder. <laughs> Because he was thinking of their health. Limbus. Limbus bread. Limbus. He he also loves eating duck soup. You don't know that about Gollum. Um, You don't know that about Gollum. Gollum. But this is another one of those, Tom, thank you again for watching this. This this scene 
I know it's a silly Star Trek movie. I don't care. It wrecks me every time. All right, it just can... drives me crazy because Remember. because there is this 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 whole thing. Once we get past what I'm talking about, we have that scene where the two of where Kirk and Spock are on opposite sides of the radiation chamber, and Spock is dying and he's blind and uh, he's he knows he's dying. And there's there's that I I have been and all I shall be your friend, and it's just. Oh, it just breaks my heart. It's just a heartbreaking, beautiful thing that Spock just said. Just Spock just made a me- mental calculation. In my life, life of everybody in the Enterprise, done. Right, right. Needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right. No, right. It's a moral calculation. Yeah. The one. Yep. Yeah. The Even needs the of the Mudokara yeah. Nebula outweigh the needs of the um, Reliant. I can I can out silly that the Norway because... Maelstrom. What'd so my number one pick is from a movie. That I feel about this movie. I. The way I feel about this movie is the way that I think like middle-aged housewives must feel when they read some uh, bodice ripper romance novel. Uh, and uh, I, I – so – because in this, this movie has everything. It's got like battles. It doesn't have a speck of CG in it. Uh, it's a little-known war. And most importantly, it periodically has uh, these smoldering looks between Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe, who, if we uh-huh. recall – uh, doesn't register for dingus, quote, end quote. Oh, this is uh, a good one. <laughs> uh, so in Last of the Mohicans, uh, there's, a, there's an, an actor named Stephen Waddington, who you've probably seen him in different things. Uh, and throughout the course of the movie, he's played up as a hard-ash British soldier who you know plays it by the book. He believes in, in, in British law. He's against too much colonial freedom. And he's basically being set up as the bad guy. Uh, he's in love with Madeline Stowe, but she jilts him early on says you know i don't want to marry you she's very definitive about it so that when she starts falling in love with daniel day lewis he obviously feels excluded um and so you're watching the movie thinking that he's going to do as he's caught up in their adventures that maybe he's going to be a bad guy or he's going to get someone killed or turn into a coward sell them out become craven or sell them out or something yeah so after this the the moment under the waterfall when they have the weird split which i still don't understand i just watched it tonight uh so daniel day lewis and his brother and father decide to leave madeline stowe and her little sister and stephen waddington his character's name is duncan to be captured by this huron war party uh and i guess the idea is they just simply can't escape them uh if they're bringing along Colonials, Europeans. So it's that whole moment where he leaves her behind. He says, you know, just stay alive. No matter what occurs, I'll I'll find you. And she gets captured and her little sister gets captured. And Stephen Waddington, the the British soldier who we're sure is going to be Craven, gets captured. And we then cut to them in the Huron camp. They've been brought back by West Duty's character uh, Magua. And and they've been presented to this Huron war, this Huron chief. Uh, and this is where Daniel Day-Lewis comes into the camp unarmed. He lets himself get you know, hit in the head and attacked, you know, mm. beaten and spit on by the Huron. And he's there holding uh, a, it's sort of his family history woven into a belt as, as a show of good faith. And he comes to the war chief, and he's like uh, – you know, he, and he presents his case, and it's almost like a court of law where Mag was like, these are Europeans. Uh, they need to be killed because he's all about revenge, and Daniel Day-Lewis is trying to present his case. But here's the problem. Daniel Day-Lewis, he, he's an American who was raised by these uh, Mohicans. Uh, he doesn't speak Huron. Magua uh, doesn't speak uh, – he speaks Huron, but uh, the, the, the war chief doesn't speak English. However, 
because the Huron are allied with the French, they speak French. So Stephen Waddington, the officer, knows French, and he has to translate between the three parties. Magua knows French. The Huron war chief knows French. Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't know French. So Daniel Day-Lewis is speaking English. The Huron war chief and Magua, they're speaking French, and Stephen Waddington is – uh, is translating for everyone. So what f- comes out of this, uh, these two competing cases is the war chief finally rules, and this sucks. He finally rules that Stephen Waddington, he can be released, he can go back to the British, that the younger sister, she gets to be a gift to Magua, so basically she'll be enslaved by him forever, and that Madeline Stowe will be burned at the stake to slate Magua's thirst for revenge. And he basically taps the gavel. He doesn't really have one, but it would be that kind of thing. That's his decision, and it's final. So Daniel Day-Lewis's Hail Mary pass is, okay, take me instead of Madeline Stowe. Burn me at the stake instead. And he tells Day-Lewis is Waddington's. Yeah. Right. He tells, he tells Stephen Waddington, tell the war chief to burn me, Daniel Day-Lewis, at the stake and oh, let Madeline uh-huh. Stowe go. Uh, and Stephen Waddington yeah. says something in French to the war chief, and actually the subtitles kind of spoil it. He says to the war chief, uh, take me instead. I'm a, a British officer, and it'll bring more glory if you burn me. Uh, so he mistranslates for Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, and Daniel Day-Lewis has this moment of confusion where they bring Madeline Stowe over to him, and they kind of motion for them to get out of the camp, and they see Stephen Waddington, and Daniel Day-Lewis is like, no, wait, what? And then he realizes that Stephen Waddington – presented himself as the sacrifice, and it's at that moment that he realizes it, that that awesome – it's like a fiddle bit. like that. It's, a, it's just the most famous bit of the music that Trevor Jones did, and it's just so – and it plays through the whole finale, and this is the moment where it starts, where, where Daniel Day-Lewis, where, where Hawkeye, where Nathaniel realizes what the Duncan sacrifice was. And it's really grotesque. I mean, they just smear, smear black makeup on Stephen Waddington, but they string him up, and there's fire in front of him, and he's being burned alive. Uh, and Daniel Day-Lewis has the moment where he turns around, and he's a crack shot, and he shoots him through the head to put him out of his misery. But yeah. just that, that sacrifice there, that this character who's all about honor and nobility – and by the way, this character's right. I watched Last of the Mohicans, and I'm like, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis, the Colonials, you guys are – you're John Wicking it. You're not honoring your part of the bargain. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so Stephen Waddington, who's the hard-ass British guy, like – I, I, I think he's right throughout, and he ultimately just kind of – he's the hero of the thing in a way. Stiff upper wow. lip. Yes. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. A long time since I've seen that. I didn't well, realize – yeah, I, yeah. I don't remember that happening. I mean I remember being – bad for that guy. Michael Mann, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, definitely Michael being, Mann. Uh, disappointed because I was really into that particular – uh, who is it? Is it? It's not uh, Nathan uh, Fenmore Cooper, Nathaniel Jonathan Fenmore. James Cooper. Fenmore Cooper, yeah. James yeah, Fenmore. James. Thank you. Right. right. Yeah. I don't think it has much uh, to do with the book. I'm guessing. Uh, probably. I read not, the first but I was two. I didn't into read reading that at the time, so I was I was a little annoyed. I read, did you read Deerslayer? Yeah. First one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Did you read all four? Did you read the Pioneer or whatever? Yeah, I did. I did. You know, whatever. The ones? Whatever we had to do, we had to do like a huge paper at the end of my senior year for AP. The streets of Laredo of Fenimore Cooper. (laughs) Well, I had primed myself by reading a lot of Jack London before that, and that prepared me to want to read James Fenimore Cooper. Yeah. Oh, great great choice. 
Josh Lubliner says, I have nobly sacrificed a few minutes of my time to send you this list of the three greatest noble sacrifices in movies. Number three, he says, this one's for Kelly. I know I've mentioned it before, Uh but an executive decision, Steven Seagal sacrifices himself so that Kurt Russell can get aboard the hijacked airliner and stop the terrorists from doing what they were trying to do. Who can remember? Josh Lubliner says. The cool thing is this happens early in the movie, so you thought it was going to be a Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal buddy action adventure. Turns out it's just going to be a Kurt Russell action adventure. They kind of give it away in the trailer, though, because I remember he goes, you're not going to make it. And he goes, no, but you will. And then he shuts the door because you have to shut the door, Tom. Just don't watch trailers. I don't mean, watch, that's what you yeah, get what? for watching trailers. Jesus. Number two. Uh, this is a great one, too, and I love this one. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you guys a line from it. He may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. Dingus is going to love this one. By the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, we've been watching Yondu cover for Quilt for two whole movies. Yeah. particularly fond of the grin of pride he gives when he discovers Quill has swindled him out of the Infinity Stone in exchange for a troll doll. And not just because he likes ah. troll dolls, it's because he's yeah, very proud of him. Uh, Josh Lobinger continues, but Quill is just figuring this out when Yondu sacrifices himself to save from the collapse of Ego's planet. Is Mary Poppins cool? Yeah, he's yeah. cool. Oh, man, Josh, that's a great one, Josh. Damn. Number one, uh, I can't do the line because I don't know what... You know I read a lot, especially about things, about history. So that's apparently a quote. Witness. True romance. You were close. Gangster Christopher Walken. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Gangster Christopher Walken wants Dennis Hopper to tell him where Christian Slater went with a suitcase full of drugs. Hopper knows Walken will torture him until he talks, so he asks for a cigarette and then proceeds to deliberately make Walken so angry he just shoots him. Like, doesn't he have some weird racist – yeah, this racist tirade. There's something about like – what is it? He he says you're all niggas. That's why. Well, he's, the, yeah, like he's put because he knows uh, he's pushing the button. Uh, and then Josh points out, I'd forgotten about this. Unfortunately, the sacrifice is ruined about ten seconds later when Walken's goons find a note on the refrigerator <laughs> saying where he's going. Oh, uh, <laughs> like a Boromir thing. Yeah. Well, he was hoping they wouldn't see it. Just oh, like Boromir. Doesn't he talk about like eggplants or something in that scene? It's an innocuous wind-up to him basically using that epithet against uh, yeah, Italians, I, I think. Yeah. Oh, right. right. Just because he knows it'll annoy him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll annoy him to where he won't be tortured. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the trick, is make your torturer so angry, he kills you quickly. Yeah. Use racism as a loophole. John Renninger. This topic reminds me of the old joke where an Englishman – fr- wait, what? John Renninger, what are you doing? Not to be undone. So Josh just had two. Sorry. Oh, oops, did I not read all of them? No, three. Uh, he had uh, Steven Seagal in Executive Decision, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and oh, Guardians. Chris Sorry, Duh. Yeah, I'm yeah. dumb. Sorry. John Ranger, I think he's telling a joke. Wait, Reservoir Dogs had a good human human sacrifice. <laughs> Jackson remembers what? Because that guy knew who he was. Yes. All right, I don't know what this is, John Renninger. This specific. Oh, wait, what? All right, I'll just read it. Okay. John Renninger writes in enough that I'm, I'll trust him. Uh, this right. topic reminds me of an old joke where an Englishman, a Frenchman, a Texan, and a Mexican are on a plane that's crashing when the pilot jumps out using one of two remaining chutes. The magnanimous Englishman, played by Tom Hardy, forgoes the last parachute and yells, Remember Dunkirk, while jumping <laughs> out. Not to be outdone, the Frenchman, played by Jean Renault, yells, Remember the professional. And then jumps out, too. Uh, gotcha. Then the Texan, played by Ben Foster, yells, 
to hell or high water and chucks out Selma Hayek. <laughs> Wait, okay. All right. <laughs> In the unlikely case you don't know the joke's original punchline, John says, the Texan yells, remember the Alamo, and tosses out the Mexican. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, the specific noble sacrifices are Tom Hardy protecting the beach until the plane ran out of gas, which wasn't a sacrifice. He just landed and walked away. Uh, Leon saving Natalie Portman in the final shootout. Right, right, right. Okay, I get it now. I'm dumb. Oh, this oh, is a great right, one. Grenades, yeah. No, the uh, the To Hell or High Water one. Uh, ben Foster leading the cops away so Chris yeah, Pine can yeah, save his family's land for his wife and right. kids. That's a yeah. great one. John Reninger, I think that was worth whatever you were doing all up there uh, yeah. that, it, that you brought it home to, to uh, that great bit in To Hell or High Water. Nice. What's the Salma Hayek one? Uh, he just said it was the first Mexican he could think of. Oh, okay. She's Mexican? <laughs> well, for the joke. Because the whole joke, it's a, it's a racist joke about how Texans hate Mexicans. Oh, right, right, right. right. I don't know. It's necessarily the, racist. They can't stand Frida Kahlo. This whole, yeah. whole uh, thing is. <laughs> Do you, Arthur, you guys check this out. <laughs> Arthur Gilvalangelale's number three pick. When the Huron elder decides that Madeline Stowe is to be burned alive as recompense for what happened uh -huh. to West Duty's children, Hawkeye, Daniel Day-Lewis, offers to take her place in the flames. Hawkeye, however, doesn't share a common language with the elder and must rely on Duncan to translate his proposition into French. Duncan, unbeknownst to his companions, instead offers to trade places with Stowe himself, and the elder accepts, and he's burned alive. The language of nobility. Before Hawkeye shoots him in the head to end his suffering. I love how Duncan does such a noble act when nobody but he could understand the deal he was making. It's like the oh. old saying, to do the right thing when nobody is looking. Oh, yeah, it's like the old saying, to do the right thing when nobody is looking. Yeah, like if you do the right thing just because everyone's looking. Although they do see him get burned alive, though. Uh, I, I also like every time you say the word Duncan, I, I think of Duncan, Idaho. Because you're a dune nerd. Yeah. Because I'm a dune nerd, yeah. You don't, yeah. yeah. Uh, I also like how even though he made the deal himself, yeah, I know. Yeah, Stephen Waddington, I really like. Uh, Arthur points out, even though he made the deal himself, you can see how terrified he is being led to the pyre and strung yeah. up, and how much anger. Yeah. I mean, at that time, is he thinking, "Oh, I really shouldn't have done this." He knows uh, what the name of the movie is now. Well, it should be named uh, Duncan Hayworth. Yeah, because he's like the hero. Uh, oh, here's another good one, Arthur. Sunshine. After Benedict Wong forgets to uh, adjust the Icarus 2 solar uh, panels. There's a lot of noble sacrifices. Gillian Murphy and Hiroyuki Sanada uh, must make a risky spacewalk to repair a few that are malfunctioning. After the Icarus 2 suffers damage, Murphy and Sanada realize they will not have enough time to make the crucial repairs and return to safety. Sanada tells Murphy to go and finish the repairs, uh, but has time to escape the sun's fatal heat. Uh, leading to his death by incineration. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Chris Evans, too. That's my new number two in that movie. Uh, the sacrifice is not only beautifully filmed, but it gives you so <laughs> much insight into why Sonata is the ship's captain. He puts the crew in the mission before his own survival. Yeah, one of the one of the few non-terrible things about this season of Westworld World was uh, when they did Shogun World, they had Rinko Kikuchi and uh, Hiroyuki Sonata as uh, guest uh, stars. Who Ooh, agreed. wow. Number oh man, I hate my list now. I love mine. Go Gollum's a brilliant pick. <sighs> you, you can go back. <laughs> you guys, let's re-record. I got to change my list. <laughs> Arthur's number one pick. Uh -oh. Logan takes all of the medicine uh -oh. that he knows will probably end up killing him, so uh -oh. that he can get the strength to save Laura 
and her friends. I, I, really, I don't. Seventeen. I don't so like the mutant children Peter Pan stuff, but yeah. Well, yeah. The sacrifice isn't as blatant as the others I've listed, but there's a clear moment when Logan decides to take the drugs, uh, and I'd argue he probably knows what the end result will be. Well, the thing is, he's like he's already mm. dying, so he just kind of accelerates it. But I, I, this yeah. definitely applies. Uh, what about the phoenixes? <laughs> I mean, it's no different than than uh, Nux sacrificing himself when he knows he's terminally ill with cancer. He's got the neck tumors. Um, right. The act uh, has a lot behind it, not just because Hugh Jackman's fantastic performance, but years and years of character history and lore. It all seems to feed into Logan's choice to give up his life for Laura. I love it so much. Uh, Luke here. Yeah. Oh, man, another Luke good and one. Laura. Two words, he writes. This is the entirety of his email. His email is actually four words, and those four words are two words, and then the words in Bruges. Oh, damn it. Uh, You're kidding me. Oh, very nice. Chris Markinson, number three. Is he down? Yes, he's down for the count. You guys, in Dunkirk, Tom Hardy's running running low on fuel but stays to protect the ships rather than turn back for home. I mean, he just lands and walks away. It would have been way cooler. I think it's captured. Intention matter? I mean, he he thinks he's going to die, maybe. Yeah, they're going to kill him. He's All right, Alex. The very le- best case scenario, he's captured. Fair enough. No, he just walks down the beach where they're the mole where they're getting on the ships, right? I mean, it's not as good as Captain America: First Avenger. But. <laughs> oh, here's a. Oh, this is a great. This is a classic was, one. Chris Marcus in this one's just so classic. And I'll, you always were an asshole, Gorman. Uh, I thought about that. One. <laughs> they come yeah, together because it's another one where it's like it's like a yeah. it's like a Duncan thing where he's like the craven character, and in the end, he uh, he ends up sacrificing himself. It's a diacute. <laughs> in Aliens, Gorman decides to go back for Vasquez rather than abandoning her, which leads to a great moment with Gorman and Vasquez. Oh, well, that's, that's, what I was, uh, that's what I was talking about with, right. when I brought up Paul Reiser before. Uh, and then Chris Martin says, I'm counting on Dingus to have said this already. Uh, Spock sacrificing himself to save the Enterprise and her crew in Wrath of Khan. This one still chokes me up. Mm. Yep. We're, about, we're together on that, Chris. Don't worry. Best resurrections, yeah. Only they'd invented robots with mechanical arms that could manipulate reactors. Maybe Chris asked me, uh, if, uh, can I just not write in? Because <laughs> I know what you're going to bring up. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you can, but you have to tell me what you saw this week. Like, you have to contribute a what have you seen this week thing. And he didn't, the big jerk. Uh, He's, he sent in his favorite sacrifices so I'm, I'm a little surprised that a few didn't get brought up uh what yeah. runners up do you guys have because i have some I, I watched a couple of movies this week thinking yeah this is it and kind of came to the conclusion that they weren't noble sacrifices like that they didn't mm. fit the topic so i have runners that's up that's where i put obi-wan kenobi that didn't fit the topic i didn't think well that's here's this, when dingus said what have this i done could have left when Dingus said, what have I done for uh, his Boromir quote, I thought he was doing an Alec Guinness quote from another movie because that's Alec Guinness's dying words in uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, he says, what have I done? And then he uh, the uh, mortar lands and wounds him, and he staggers over to the plunger and dies but then falls on the plunger and detonates the bridge. I don't think he sacrifices himself. Like I don't think he's intending yeah. to get killed because I'd forgotten too. It, it, in my memory – the uh, it's sort of like when I watched Gator and remembered as a kid, yeah, Lauren Hutton's totally naked, and then she wasn't. 
I had remembered the end of Bridge Over the River Kwai was this beautiful master shot of the bridge with the train going on it, and here's the plunger in the bottom right of the corner, and Alec yeah. Guinness falls on it, and it explodes. Like, I'd imagine that all is one shot, and it's not. Oh, <laughs> it's, that's what I thought, they too. They clearly cleared out the area to do the stunt work. Alec Guinness falling on the plunger, it's not even – it's just an insert – I don't even just think like you can see his face. Sex. It could, yeah, exactly. It could be a stunt man. Actually, I don't think it is, but it's not as dramatic a fall as I thought. I mean, you see him teeter and then fall over, and then there's an insert shot of him on the plunger, where he's obviously just sort of leaned into it. Um, but in my in my recollection, it was all one great big beautiful shot that David Lean had managed, and it was a one in, once in a lifetime thing. But it wasn't. It's. I mean, the the train sequence is amazing, and watching it crash is amazing. And actually, there's there's some uh, interesting lore about how he almost lost that uh, that footage uh, uh. because they had to send it. There was some reason where. I forget what it was, but there was some something that was preventing their normal way of moving the footage from Ceylon to Los Angeles, where they were shooting oh, to. Nerve and, and, and they, they misplaced nerve the footage. It was like it, they had to send it by air, and it got lost for like a week. <laughs> and oh, then they wow. finally uh, found it. Um, but at any rate, I don't think it's a sacrifice. Like I, I, I watched all of Bridge Over River Kwai thinking that at a certain point, uh, Alec Guinness's character realizes that He's been stupid all along, and he goes to push the plunger and gets shot. But that's not it at all. Uh, so I watched three hours of a David Lean movie. Just this You're week? Wow. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen that movie in 20 years. I'm really uh, kind oh, of jealous. Right. So it's, it's 19... I love most David Lean movies. It's 1957, which is insane to me. Yeah. How does a movie like that get made in 1957? I mean, it looks gorgeous. Alec Guinness is awesome. Here's the annoying part that I didn't remember. The whistling? Uh, I, no, the whistling works, Dingus, because it's used judiciously. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not in it as much as I thought it would be. Uh, and by the way, the sound design of the final scene, as the train is drawing closer and getting louder and the whistle is really shrill, like there's beautiful sound design that design building the tension in that final scene is still yeah. just a, an amazing scene. Um, so here's what I didn't remember. I love Sunset Boulevard partly because William Holden is, is supposed to be a putz in it. Like he represents uh, Hollywood at its worst. As, you know, Ryan Gosling has this great line in La La Land where he says Los Angeles, they worship everything but value nothing. And I think Sunset Boulevard <laughs> is very much about about that conceit and Gloria Swanson's character, like is someone who was worshipped but never valued, and she's falling apart, you know, in decrepitude in her old age. She's crazy. So William Holden comes across her and just kind of uses her, and he he's not supposed to be sympathetic. You know, you the story's told from his perspective, and as you're watching it, you're like, man, this guy's kind of a jerk. And William Holden really conveys that. So William Holden is the American prisoner of war in Bridge on the River Kwai. And I don't uh, like him in it at all. He's still very much like a Hollywood like leading man with his chin, and he's being all cavalier. But do you guys remember what happens to the American in Bridge on the River Kwai? No. No, I don't. He, he escapes early on in the movie, and you're like, wait, what? Like he and some other people escape, and the other people get shot, and he escapes, and then he's out of the movie. And you're like, wait, that was William Holden. He's super famous. All right, whatever. And then you go back, and you're watching this awesome movie of this contest of wills between Alec Guinness's British colonel and the Japanese uh, commander of the prisoner of war camp. But then it cuts to William Holden having been rescued and just living the high life. Like he's, he's having a sexy time with a nurse, and he's on a beach in Europe somewhere. 
and he just and you know everybody like thinks he's a hero because he escaped and he's just drinking martinis and hanging out on the beach and <laughs> making out with this chick America like yeah exactly Kelly Wand we're America well, bitch this is so, a great bit in, uh, mm-hmm. that Eddie Izzard has in in uh, in his uh, routine um, where he talks about uh, Steve McQueen in The Great Escape. He's like, he's the American who just gets to be, hey, I'm so cool. And he drives, you know, all the way to Switzerland on a motorcycle while the other guy is stuck in wires. And that's exactly what's happening in the middle of Bridge on the River Kwai. You're like, wait a minute, what? This guy just gets away and now he's living the life of Riley on the beach with hot nurses? Um, Yeah. So, but, but again, I didn't remember what happens is then the British intelligence services, some, some like elite squad comes to him and they're like, uh, we understand that you've escaped from this, this prison. We need you to help us. We're, we're going to do sabotage on the bridge they're building. We need your help. And he's like, I can't today. I have a date, maybe tomorrow. And they're like, okay, come on by tomorrow. And he comes on by and they're pointing at the map where it is. And he's like, yeah, it's right about there. You guys just go there. You'll be fine. And the officer says to him, well, wh- why don't you come with us and help us? You've got firsthand knowledge of the area. And he's like, what, what do you – no, no way. I'm not going to do it. You're crazy. And the guy's like, well, you know, we got the Navy. We checked with them, and they said you should. And William Holden has an ace in the hole, and this is a great character reveal. His ace in the hole is, look, I'm not who you think I am. I'm just a serviceman. I'm not even an officer who stole someone else's uniform when we got captured because I thought I would get better treatment in the prisoner of war camp. So, Uh. nah, 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 I'm not the officer you got permission about. I'm just an enlisted man. Court-martial me. Suck it. (laughs) And then the the British, because this movie is all about how cool the British are. Right. The British commander is like, oh, yes, we knew that. Here's your paperwork. Here's your picture. Here's where we see your enlisted. Yeah. And here's the guy. We totally know all that. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, They've no. just been stringing him along <laughs> to give him the option of making the heroic choice, and he fails them every single time. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but he then redeems himself as he goes through the jungle, and he ends up dying in front of Alec Guinness's eyes, and that presumably – Jars out again. It's awake. Yeah, he gets yeah. his death redemption. Wow, the asshole died. Fuck. I gotta <laughs> eat. Well, everybody died. I mean, Alec Guinness dies. The idealistic well, yeah. young kid dies. Uh, do you remember too? This commando team that lands in Japan. Actually, they're not in Japan. They're in uh, in in Thailand. This commando li- team that lands in Thailand. They get the locals to help them, and the locals who help them, super hot uh, Thai chicks. I kind of do remember that, yeah. Yeah, and there's they're making out like each of them has a love interest. They're making and out. Well, they're, yeah. they're making them where they're yeah yeah. I don't actually think and it, like clearly the, you know like there's the one that likes William Holden, there's the one that likes Jack yeah. Hawkins, there's the one that likes the young idea. Like it's like they they have to oh. throw love interests into it, and I, I I wonder too is this like did David Lean have to make this concession? <laughs> To have like this kind of American romance silliness, or to have women in it. Yeah, exactly. To have women in it and the dashing. There's no American. women in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. There's no women in Lawrence of Arabia ever. Um, Isn't there a reporter early on in the bookend or something? You might be right, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I don't remember any. Well, I mean, there's certainly like in some of the nomad camps, but yeah, you're right. There are probably no speaking roles for women. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it was, you know, hey, let's sexy this this prisoner of war movie up. And Do you remember this? Yeah, go on. Here's the here's the kicker. Uh, William Holden got the part because Humphrey Bogart had died. That would uh, have been Humphrey Bogart. I can kind of see it. I can totally see it. That would have been awesome. Humphrey Bogart and Alec Guinness. That would have been kind of interesting. Would have been amazing. Yeah. 
And I like those kind of American – I like American-British relations usually yeah. in movies. They're funny. <laughs> There's a part in Slaughterhouse-Five where like Vonnegut's character – I guess this really happened to me. He was like on a train. They take him to Dresden. They put him in the camp, and the, the prisoner of war camp is pretty much run by the British. And they have – they somehow found a way to – due to some clerical error, they're getting tons of supplies. They're living yeah. like – they have like chocolate and shit. And so they give the American and the Germans love them, it says. Like they love the British prisoners. They're just so like, yeah, they're like never in a bad mood. They're like, chip it up, up, up. And uh, they so when the Americans arrive on the train, they give them this huge meal. They make them like this awesome banquet. But they, they haven't eaten in days. So they just like throw up and like get diarrhea and like they're all sick. And it makes the British disgusted. They're like, oh, fucking Americans. Because they're like all like st- sitting by the latrine going, Ugh, like all night and just being disgusting. And they're like, that's the end of the meal. And the British are like, oh, what a waste. Well, the of whole food. thing, the whole, dr- the central dramatic tension in Bridge on the River Kwai is Alec Guinness's insistence that we are British. We do things as best as we can. Right. Always. Even if we're abetting the enemy and and, and his yeah. officers are saying to him, well, this could be potentially treasonous. <laughs> and, uh, and I, like, I'm uh, convinced. It, so early on in his struggles with uh, say with the, the head of the camp, he gets thrown in a in what's called the oven. It's just a box where he's left for days and days without water, without food and it's sweltering heat. Uh, I'm convinced that that drives him crazy because he's insane. Yeah. Like the things that what what. what his, I think his name is Nicholson. Like what his what Alec Guinness's character does in Bridge on the River Kwai is absurd. It's obscene, insane. It's wrong. Like he's yeah. definitely, and the other Brits who are doing the job, they know. You know, we need to sandbag this job. We need to make sure the train, the bridge, doesn't get built so the train can't connect. Yeah. Uh, and and he's he just refuses to let them do that. Right. And he even says, "You guys are doing it wrong. We have to redo the bridge down here." He's like he's crazy. So if we were British, would we be relating to him more? Or we be? Well, I really do. I mean, I think it's what's fascinating about that screenplay is David Lean doesn't offer commentary on it. Like he, I, yeah. like it's just my theory. It's my but interpretation. Is, it is that the same writer, Robert Bolt? I just don't know who wrote it. I don't, it's based on a French novel, uh, okay. but I, I think there are a lot of changes from the French novel. Like and, and, what, of the apes. Uh, and the whole thing was uh, is there's no like there's there's no like there's no sign that he's actually insane or crazy. It's no. just at the very end he has a moment where he says, "What have I done?" And he's going to go push the plunger, but he dies before he can, and yeah. luckily he falls on it. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's partly too this very. Uh, like I think it's supposed to be just a tragedy about the folly of man in a way uh, and the folly of honor uh, because that's another thing too is it, it really does – you know, it, first of all, it takes a lot of liberties with how horrific it was to be a prisoner of war oh, yeah, in Japanese-occupied territory. But it's really trying to be about two cultures that value honor clashing with each other, yeah, uh, Imperial but, Japan and the, the British Empire, and that's just – you know, David Lean just has a lot of great stuff. I mean, that core of the movie is just fantastic stuff. Did you ever see uh, Stalag Seventeen? Uh, William Holden is that William Holden too? Yeah. God, no, yeah, I don't yeah. want to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. I don't want to watch William Holden be a dashing cavalier American prisoner of war. No, he's not. He's not. That's the thing because it's All a. Right. Uh, Someone in the camp's uh, a traitor and selling us out to the Germans, and he's like a total aloof asshole to the rest of the oh. camp. Oh, good. And they, okay. They think he's a dick, and they're all certain he's the mole. Oh, good. Okay. Like, Is that Billy so Wilder? Guys. Uh, sure. It might be actually. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. Any it other? Always reminds any... me of Hogan's Heroes for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's oh, what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other runners up. I'm surprised there's one that didn't come up yet. All right. So a Quiet Place would be the one that I would uh, that I thought that might have. I hate triggered that one. I know you hate it. That's why I didn't it's pick so it. So unnecessary. I hate the unnecessary. Because you can pick ones just because we hate them. Kelly doesn't sure. stop Kelly Wand. Gollum. Um, so also Terminator 2 Judgment Day when no, Joe Morton. Yeah. What? Go on. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Sorry. <laughs> when Joe just... Morton is holding the uh, the explosive, like he's 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 about to yeah, trigger it, good. and uh, the the soldiers come into the room. Uh, he's like, I don't know how long I can hold this. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knows That's he's a- going to blow up the lab, but I thought he, you had to see no, no. Uh, I'm talking about Joe Martin. Yeah, uh, yeah. Miles Dyson. Uh, I think it's his name. Uh, he's he holds as long as he can so the soldiers can get back out, and then he then he yeah, lets it go because he has to destroy the lab, but he doesn't want them to be killed unnecessarily. I, I kept seeing Arnold in Terminator 2 on lists of humans of human sacrifice of noble sacrifice. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> programmed, so you can't really call it a noble sacrifice, like. No, so like Gollum, right? I mean, exactly. I, I, I think that's long. I mean, he he does. He says, "Yeah, you have to put me in here because there's still this in my in my head." I mean, he, <laughs> you're really selling it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if he's also, saying and, that, and I wonder what you think about this, Tom, because it's uh, I don't know that it's because it happens in the spur of the moment. It's um, Richard Schiff's character in Lost World, Jurassic Park. Right. Where he is trying to keep the the trailers from going off the cliff, while the T Rexes are attacking his jeep, um, and he's sort of just trapped there. But he stays there and he keeps doing what he's doing uh, in order. He keeps like he he folds himself down into this underneath the seats to keep putting the gas on uh, on the jeep to keep it keep the trailers from going off so that the other three aren't killed. So I don't know if that I don't know if that qualifies. It just oh, seems to be at the moment. He does. He's not trying to preserve himself. He's basically sacrificing himself. He's letting himself stay in this dangerous situation yeah. to try to right. save other people. So totally, yeah. Although right. he knows he's in a Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. For all he knows, he's in just another episode of West Wing. And finally, I think uh, was it was it Josh Lubliner who brought up um, uh, Guardians Two. All right, so I would bring up Guardians One as far as Groot sacrificing himself, um, <laughs> because you know uh, Rocket Raccoon says if you do this, you're going to die, and then it's like we are Groot. Yeah, but he, um, he's uh, a tree. Like, does yeah. Groot is Groot like Spock, where he just knows he's going to re- regrow? Spock doesn't know that. Stop it. Remember. You're <laughs> <laughs> saying it like Alicia Vikander's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, he's remember, a, remember the baby. So no, none of you guys like no slim pickings. <laughs> is he being noble when he's? Yeehaw? I don't know. It's because uh, part of one of my things too. Uh, one of my things about the noble sacrifices that uh, is <laughs> like when they're horrific. That's all the worse. I mean, there's that's such a horrific scene. What's yeah. his sacrifice? Like he's causing a he's causing nuclear war. Well, but the way you normally cause nuclear war, Kelly Wan, is you fly the airplane, you drop the bomb, and you fly the airplane home and land. Hold on, let me write this down. <laughs> sure, but if he doesn't do that, he 
I can't believe you're you're arguing again. Go ahead. He seems like he wants to do it. He seems like he's enjoying himself, and it's the funnest thing he's ever done. So it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It feels like he's he's doing something that would be great. You don't think he sacrifices himself to make sure the bomb drops? Uh, well, I'm saying, is it noble what he's doing? Dingus thoughts. <laughs> nobility is the part I'm questioning more than the song. Yeah, I, I question the nobility based I mean, on it the, ends the it ends the world, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah. like, if he couldn't get no the Bombay way. doors open, the world wouldn't have ended. So, yeah. Right. Well, here, here's my issue with it. Um, because he does, he does believe that there's a nuclear exchange with the Soviet Union. Uh, and he does believe that he's got to do his part of the job. He has no idea because they got attacked and his their communications got shot uh, out. He has no idea that the United States has been reduced to radioactive waste. He just knows he's his his duty, and that that's kind of the whole point of what Stanley Kubrick does with all this procedural stuff on the B fifty two. It is their duty to do their small part to be part of a nuclear deterrent. And when the weapons fly, if you don't actually launch them, it's not a deterrent. Um, and that's sort of the absurdity of Dr. Strangelove. But here's my issue. I don't think – so a couple of things because I went back and watched this because it's such it, – the, the scene itself, it's so horrific. And just it, uh, it, when, when the bomb falls, I, like the camera goes down with him. Yeah. Like yeah. Stanley Kubrick, it goes all the way down with him. And he's like yelling, and, and so during that whole sequence when uh, it, the music that's playing is uh, when Johnny comes marching home. Like that's in the background, uh, which has a really – like, like that's a poignant song to be playing because the whole point of when Johnny comes marching home is that the dilemma of war is that Johnny – it's entirely possible he won't come home. Uh, so there's that – that music is playing while they're going through the checklist, and then things start going wrong with the door. And it's great watching James Earl Jones like flipping the switch over and over again, and he can't get it to work. Uh, and then Slim Pickens finally says, OK, I'll go down there and take care of it. Uh, and – they're getting closer, and they're calling you know, two minutes to target, one minute to target, 30 seconds to target. At this point, Slim Pickens is off the radio. He doesn't have his headpiece. He has no idea how close they are. Uh, he Also, when he climbs out on the bomb, and he's because he has to stand on the bomb to fix the wiring, I don't think he expects the door is going to open underneath him. I don't think he went down there to die because yeah, when it opens underneath him – like at that point, he just realizes, oh, I'm, I'm dead. Like I don't right. think he, he went down there specifically to sacrifice himself. It's just the timing uh, was screwy, and he got caught. He got the wires together at the last moment. But the, and he, he made the most of it. He made, and he, exactly, once <laughs> he it made falls. The most Here's another thing I didn't notice. <laughs> he didn't know that uh, Darth Vader was on the plane as well. So. Uh, yeah. he's, he's wearing a parachute. Huh. Oh. Does he know it's a parachute, or does he think no, this is No, of lunch? course. Well, what, here, I mean – Do you know it's a parachute? He, why doesn't he pop <laughs> he the parachute? He thinks it's his backpack. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, nobility-wise, I put it somewhere around Klinger staying. No, no. The reason, he doesn't, the, marsh, marsh. the reason he doesn't pop the parachute is he knows it would incinerate him. Like, he knows he's going to die. Yeah, yeah, a parachute yeah. at that point is not going to save him. Like, in a way, that makes it more horrific, because they would normally be protected from falling out of a B-52, because they've all right. got their parachutes on. But he knows, you know, once the bomb falls, because the whole point of this flight, too, is they have to fly at lower altitude to fly under the radar. 
they're going according to procedure, and that's part of why the Russians couldn't shoot them down because uh, Peter Sellers is the president. is like, yeah, find it. Shoot it down. We, we don't want this bomb to be dropped on you guys. Um, right. So they're flying low enough that he could pop the parachute, but the, the mushroom cloud would kill him anyway. Right. Uh, the parachute's just a mini mushroom cloud. It would just let him dangle <laughs> up higher and fry a little and bit watch. in the atmosphere. Or yeah. blow him away, or if he's in a refrigerator, he's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised Dingus didn't mention Hal from 2010, because I was thinking about that one, too. He sacrificed himself? Oh. No, yeah, and they have to not. talk him into it. What? He oh, totally he does. does. Very good. Oh, Kelly, that's excellent. And the doctor's like... The doctor's trying to, like, he's like, wait, so will I die? And the doctor's all, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Dr. Chandra is totally honest with him, and that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly, that's excellent. I teared up a little when I saw that in high school, Dingus. I tear up every time I see that movie, and I didn't even think of it. Oh, Kelly. The ultimate redemption. You picked K-19. Kelly. Yeah, forget what I said. Okay, Gollum, (laughs) number three, birth. Pick a, pick, pick a movie with a different number. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's 20, an excellent one because it is. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Because Dr. Chandra talks to him. Man, yes, Kelly, talk good about job. And they're all And they're all worried. And there's like – I think Roy Scheider has his finger over a button. Like if, if we, have, we have to kill Hal. He has like a kill Hal switch. If we He has this it. weird little thing that's going to cut the cables. And yeah. of course, well, Bob Bal- Balaban. You're talking about the sequel. That's why I'm yeah, no talking, about about. talking about. We're talking about the awesome Helen Mirren. Dingus. And then afterwards, Roy Scheider's all. By the way, I had a finger on the switch to kill Hal if he was going to go crazy. And then yep. Chandra hands him some stuff and goes, "Yeah, I know. I deactivated that." <laughs> yeah, nice try. Yeah, what are you going to do? That's awesome. Oh, oh that's a great one, Kelly. That's a great one. That's my number one. That's way better. Forget what I was saying before. Ghost. Jerk. Gollum. <laughs> Suddenly, Ghost is a noble sacrifice. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so during my good night call with my son tonight, I said, uh, what, you know, I had asked him earlier on. I always ask him about three by threes, and uh, I said, give it a give it a thought for a couple of seconds. And I thought for sure he would come up with like uh, Iron Man in the Avengers, like taking the nuclear weapon out to uh, outer space, not thinking he's going to be able to come back. Uh, and Kiernan like thought for a minute, and he went. Kong Skull Island. <laughs> but the actors being in the movie, they nobly sacrifice their careers. No, he was talking about his favorite character in the movie is Shea Wiggum's character, who straps a bomb to his chest and like runs at a lizard. Um, but he said, but it's not effective. <laughs> Shea Wiggum lizard... is in Kong Skull Island? <laughs> <laughs> the Indian Believe... Predator. It's, it's Kiernan's favorite character. His name is Cole, and he just pulled it off the top of his head. It's like, you know, me with like Connor or whatever. My my son just went, yeah, Cole, my favorite character from Kong Skull Island. You know, Cole. Uh, he straps a bomb to his chest and says, everybody get out of here. And he runs at this lizard, whatever it is, and the lizard just smacks him with the tail and it ends up not working. Oh, <laughs> I do vaguely remember. Oh, that. yeah, now I do. Yeah. It's a cliff or something. It's like a, it's like yeah, a, it's- Cabin in the Woods kind of ending. I was yep. thinking that, that it, it exploded in the lizard and you could see the light, but that's the lizard eating a flashbulb, right? Isn't there right. a stupid bit where yeah. a lizard eats a flashbulb? Right. Shea uh, Wiggum's right. uh, sacrifices to that's no effect. Ball. 
It's to no avail, but it's still it's still somewhat noble. No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's intended. I love that. That's Kiernan's favorite character in that movie. Is a guy who gets slapped by a tail and blows up against a cliff. <laughs> I do oh, too. That guy's my hero. <laughs> I was like, you mean? Uh, oh, you're talking about the fa- your favorite character must be the father who writes the son letters and whatnot. Great nope, name for that character. Memorable name, Cole. <laughs> All right. Well. Kelly Wand, we've got a month now until another 3 by 3 What should we do in in another month? What do you got for us? Uh, I had a good one, but then when I was watching Ghost, I came up with a different one. So it's uh, three dumbest ghost activities in movies. <laughs> Wait, what? Three dumbest ghost activities that ghosts do. Dumb things ghosts do in movies. All right, and you're taking ghosts off the table. No, I don't care. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what if the listeners are thinking, oh, yeah, I know a dumb thing a ghost has done in a movie. If you want to describe the penny scene in Ghost and have me read it aloud in email, send your three dumbest ghost activities, non-capital ghost. It can be a lot of good ones in the Conjuring movies, too. The ghosts are pretty dumb. Like when they just this, the one in Conjuring. Oh, why don't just, you save that for when we actually do the? Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I just distracted thinking about all the ghosts I've known. Uh, yeah. So three x three quarter to three dot com, and I will read it in this stupid a voice on the. This is a great one uh, for those of us who are really into horror movies. Kelly Wan Dingus might have a harder time with this. Yeah, thanks. That's, I look forward to Dingus's list because he's going to be going. Okay, midnight run. The gangster made the bullet go like this, maybe? You know, Wait, Dick- is that what I sound like? Oh, my God. I, Speaking of weird. horror movies, let's check out Sorry. The First Purge next week. Uh, uh, if you see The First Purge, it's the latest uh, Marissa Tomei vehicle, uh, send your thoughts to 3x3 at quarter3.com in a separate email. We'd love to know what you thought. Uh, join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Murkowski. Yeah, it's Christian Murkowski. I've also been here with Kelly Wand. You can't say Goldblum without almost saying Gollum. Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't do that. You got a good thing going on. Don't do it. Don't do it. Netflix puts deep impact under porn. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what? Eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oregai 6? Is that a question, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. You don't find real Easter eggs at the end of Easter. So we shouldn't call those Easter eggs. It's kind of a stupid name for them.